right. Good day. It's uh, Sunday, June 12th, 12 noon, New York, in Europe. I see, uh, good to see Alexander. I think it's 6 p.m. where you are. Jim Walker, I think it's 5 p.m. where you are. Man, we got a great room already. Jim Walker, KFAB, Alexander, expecting a bunch more. You guys are the best. You make this room the best. I keep saying we have the best room. And it's not because of me. It's because of you guys. We have the best speakers, the best content, the best analysis, the best moderation, and the smartest audience. And with each passing week, it becomes ever more apparent to everybody who goes on uh, FinTwip. We had a room yesterday. It went on about three and a half hours, much longer than I anticipated. I go away for a week and so much happens. Mr. Market doesn't know and doesn't care what my calendar is. Stuff always happens when I go away. Get long volatility when I'm on vacation. So uh, maybe I should post my vacation schedule as uh, so <laughs> a trading aid. So I don't know really where to begin. I jotted down some notes. I have so much to talk about. So we're going to keep it moving and keep it light. I don't want to go down rabbit holes. As you guys are all aware, I loathe to speak about Tesla much or crypto much. We made a mistake yesterday of going down a Tesla rabbit hole. I thought it would be uh, informative. I listened to the replay. It was a complete waste of time. So if you listen to the replay on YouTube or Apple or Spotify, you'll see that the whole Tesla conversation got taken out. There's 30 minutes of waste. Very polarized topic. The bulls are dug in. The bears are dug in. And there's really nothing new. Um, my price target for Tesla year-end is 200 Stock closed at 700 I don't know how. I don't know when. But, um, you know, to me, Tesla's been nothing more than probably the biggest symbol of excess liquidity in a narrative-driven um, uh, market. And um, anyway, I don't want to spend much time on Tesla, but enough already on that. So a lot of things to talk about. Yesterday, we started off by taking um, the integrity of uh, financial media and FinTwit to task. I replayed, excuse me. I replayed the uh, six-minute link highlighting some of Jim Cramer's biggest hits or biggest lows. Not to pick on him, but he probably is as visible a figure as any in the financial media. Uh, he's a Harvard Law School guy, formerly worked at uh, uh, Goldman Sachs. He knows better. And the issue here is not his mistakes. We all make mistakes. As I've said many a time, if you're any good in this business, if you're good in this business, you're still wrong 40% of the time. This is a very humbling business. What I take issue with is not Jim Cramer's mistakes, but the sort of blitheless manner in which he jumps from one disaster to another with no accountability, no transparency. And if one bothers to keep uh, score, one is accused of trolling. I'm sure you're all familiar with the phrase, you, you know, you've, you, you got to talk the talk, act like you own the place. Well, that's the way Kramer rolls. And he has caused untold damage, billions, hundreds of billions of damage in investor portfolios. The record of his charitable trust is abysmal. He's an entertainer. He's not an investor. And he's not the only one. Raoul Powell, Chamath, Kathy Wood, go down the list. But I just am blown away by 
the lack of remorse, the lack of humility, the lack of accountability. Someone sent me a tweet last night. I think Kramer put something. He hadn't been, someone said, oh, gee, he's not treating, tweeting much today. And apparently, I think he sent out a tweet last night. There's absolutely 100% no chance that um, we're going to have a recession. Okay, Jim, whatever you say. So there's that. I want to come back on the inflation number from Friday. That was a big deal. For those of you that have been in this room, uh, you know where we stand on this. You can go back. I'll retweet it later, as early as, I think, January, February of this year. Stephen Roche writing a great article about why inflation is not transitory. And Stephen Roche, uh, former Morgan Stanley, um, I think chairman or vice chairman of Morgan Stanley America, having worked at the Arthur Burns Fed back in the day. He was there. He knows of what he speaks. And Henry Kaufman, also speaking from a similar uh, playbook, explaining why inflation is not transitory. I think bond yields are at 175 now. They're at 315 uh, as we speak. Remarkable thing about the crash or the, uh, the horrible performance of the equity markets on Friday was bond yields actually went up <laughs> to 315. Uh, no 60-40 model for you, boys and girls. At any rate, um, the street has been completely humiliated. I don't know how they can show their face in public. The rates, while they're going up, are still highly stimulative, um, well below the nominal growth rate of the economy. You know, this idea of transitory, we can argue about it. I like Jim Bianco's definition the best. And I hope Jim comes into the room. I invited him. If anyone knows him, please reach out to him. I'd, I'd love to hear from him. Jim's point being that uh, what Team Transitory would have you believe. Transitory is the idea that if you don't do anything, inflation will just go away on its own. And I think that's the best definition of transitory. Rather than arguing whether or not you know, inflation is 8.2, 8.8, or is really 14% if you properly account for it, as I believe it is. Um, and the, therefore, you don't have to do anything. It'll just go away. Well, they're going to have to do something. They are doing something. And the Fed is is, is, is leading from behind. Uh, I think there's a Fed meeting coming up this week. I think consensus 50 basis points. I don't want to get into a debate about the Fed's going to do this, the Fed's going to do that. The Fed, to a very large degree, is irrelevant now. Um, they're not driving the bus. They're in the back seat, and the market's dragging them. And so the idea that, you know, I think we'll probably will get a recession out of all this because the longer, I mean, they need to, by definition, it's a, it's a closed system. They need to, demand has to come down. Aggregate demand has to decline in order to free up capacity and resources to alleviate uh, pricing pressures. And there are certain, certain pricing pressures for which the Fed can't do anything. So, for instance, you know, we've said this many a time, they can't drill for more oil. They can't grow more wheat. Um, now, you know, can they stop people from going shopping at Target and Walmart? Yeah, sure they can. Uh, <laughs> and they're, they're already doing it because inflation is going up so much, real incomes are collapsing. So the point of it is, rather than getting into debate about its inflation, is deflation. I, I hate those debates. It's it's more, you know, transitory and not transitory. Or Some guy's going to want to argue about the curve is inverted. No, it's not inverted. Well, it's a twos, tens, it's a five thirties. That's all IQ contest stuff, which is nonsense. We're here to try to make money. And if we're talking about risk assets, I've said this once, I've said it a million times. And you can go back and look at the um, podcast I did with uh, Jack Farley of Blockworks about a month ago. Flip a coin. 
you know, the Fed does something or rates go up sufficiently um, to dent inflation. Okay, that's recession. That's not good for the stock market. Fed doesn't do anything, stays behind the curve. Inflation just keeps cycling up. You're going to get a recession eventually anyway, but as purchasing powers get, get crunched, that's not good for the stock market. So door number one is no good. Door number two is no, no good. Door number three, which the bulls rely on, Goldilocks, that door is closed. It's been sealed shut. So, you know, stepping back, and there was a stream I put out uh, about a, two or three weeks ago. I'll retweet it. I'll refer to it later in the, in the discussion. I think equities are completely toast. I'm talking about the indices in the main. Uh, yes, there are pockets that, you know, I remain positive on. Uh, I backed away from my like, like of energy on a tactical basis just because I think we're coming up to the point in the market where you could have an everything off type of market, risk off type market. But the dream of transitory inflation has now vanished. And so, you know, I argue for people holding cash, owning um, companies with strong balance sheets that are price makers, not price takers, um, basically take less risk. And the problem now is it's not just rates are going up, but you're going to start to see credit spreads widen. And as you see increasing distress in certain asset classes, you're going to see a liquidity uh, suck. And things, you're going to start to see real distress emerge. And so I'm kind of chuckling to myself um, watching Ethereum and uh, Bitcoin meltdown this weekend. And who knew? Who could have possibly uh, uh, predicted that? So the, the wagons are circling. We had a great uh, discussion yesterday led by Shrub. I hope it comes to the room. Again, on the flows data. Uh, remarkable how um, fund flows continue into equities despite the carnage. Hugely, hugely, hugely bearish. These are things you don't see at the bottom. These guys will puke before the markets, before the market makes a low. So, you know, I think there are much, much, much lower levels ahead. As I've said many a time, we don't try to call the weekly and daily jiggles, zigs and zags, and some smart asses on Twitter try to call me out when I get it wrong on a weekly basis. It's just not of interest. The real money has been made on the short side and long energy as well. You know, that's the investment. All the sort of little tactical trading longs and all the other nonsense that's just noise, in my humble opinion. So far, it's proven to be right. Who knows? I'll probably be wrong at some point. Uh, another log I want to put on the fire. Let's see. We talked about Jim Bianco. We talked about crypto, flows and positioning. Let's talk about Tiger and venture capital. Just before I went away, I uh, tweeted out uh, some things on uh, Tiger and venture capital. And Chase Coleman and Tiger, it's kind of like Kathy Wooden Arc on steroids. It, it, imagine you're in Kathy Wood in Arc, but the companies are even more overvalued and you can't get out and they're loss making and they need more money. That's Tiger Global. I don't mean to pick on them, but I will just sort of the, uh, the lead dog uh, in the whole venture capital world, private unicorn investing. I don't have the tweet in front of me, but from memory, I think something like in 2017, they funded 16 or 17 deals. In 21, they funded, I think it was 361 deals. For any of us who follow banks, um, when you want to figure out where the next disaster is going to be, it's always you look to see where's the biggest 
uh, excess occurring uh, in terms of investment of credit expansion and um, venture capital and unicorns. Uh, that's, that's it this time. That's going to be the real rub in this cycle. And the interesting thing is, I mean, whether or not the asset decline becomes generalized enough, the banks uh, fall into, into question, that's possible. But their capital ratios are much stronger uh, than they were in past cycles because of all the regulatory fallout stemming from the great financial crisis. Uh, the banks are made relatively bulletproof. Doesn't mean I like bank stocks. No, I don't. I think we are getting a recession eventually and credit quality will deteriorate. But that's not the point of greatest weakness, at least now. May ultimately be, but not now. So if you see venture capital investments, unicorns going bust, you see crypto going bust. That's a good thing. I mean that it's a good thing. Because that's part of the healing process. This nonsense, investing in fairy tales and narratives, has to stop. It will stop. It is stopping. And even without the government doing anything, the regulators doing anything, Mr. Market's taking care of it. I, was, I made the mistake, the mistake, of going into a clubhouse Bitcoin room this morning. I hadn't been in one in months. And I went in there just to sort of gauge sentiment and maybe thought I might learn something if I missed something this weekend because I saw the debacle. That would, that's in process. And it was hilarious. I went in, I think crypto, I think Bitcoin got down to, I don't know, 26.5 or something like that this morning. Uh, just having literally fallen out of bed the last few days for those of you that are following it. Let me just pull something up here. I can give you a more precise, uh, precise, uh, yeah, here we are, here we are. So, Bitcoin was 30,000 on uh, at the close on uh, Friday. And it went down uh, significantly yesterday and again today. And as we speak, it's a 28.1. So it's, that's down, you know, uh, 6%. It went, it, sorry, yeah, it, sorry. It, it went, yeah, it, uh, it closed uh, on uh, Thursday, it closed at 30,161. And now it's 28,100. So, as my Brit friends would say, it's a useful decline. That's 2,500 uh, points or 8% uh, in uh, two, two days of trading. And today I happened to go into the room. It was momentarily at uh, 26.6, I think it was the low. And now it's 28, so it's up 1,400 or points or 6 or 7%. And I refused to go in the room to speak because every other word out of these guys' mouth is a four-letter expletive. And I don't really feel like serving as a human pinata. I'm there for a constructive exchange of ideas. But these guys are so um, profane, so vulgar, so delusional. The fact that um, I was met with profanity, I should mention, I didn't speak in the room, but Clubhouse has a new feature where there's a, uh, a chat feature at the bottom of the screen which actually I think is quite useful. And I, I hope the people in the t uh, Twitter spaces do the same thing. Um, and so you can, you can have a back channel discuss. It's a public discussion. Everyone can see what's going on. So it's like a mass chat. So I started putting some things in the chat and there was nothing. I was met with nothing but a string of four letter words out of these guys' mouths. I hadn't been there for, been there for months. And hopefully Mark Cahote is my good friend. Mark will speak on this shortly because he's had his, his fair share with the AMC crowd. Anyway, um, they start ridiculing me. Um, you know, it was very revealing. Clearly, they were in a world of hurt. But what I found remarkable, remarkable, 
was just how detached and delusional these people were. You know, Peter Atwater, we've had in this room, talks about you know, why do people do stupid things. These guys still don't get the joke. You know, they're, 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 you know, so you're saying there's a chance. You know, you got to be buying it right here at twenty-seven thousand. I'm like, okay. I mean, to me, Bitcoin in particular and crypto in general, it's complete. You know, let's back up. I believe much of this crypto bull market has been underwritten by the massive, massive, widespread counterfeiting of stable coins. Most notably Tether. We'll go into that later, but I don't want this to devolve into a crypto room either. And when you take uh, Tether in circulation from $2 billion to $80 billion, doesn't, doesn't don't have to think too hard about what that might do to the price of Bitcoin and other crypto assets. And of course, that's the elephant in the room nobody wants to talk about. And for those of you that haven't heard me, uh, I did a couple of podcasts with Grant Williams and Tom, one in July of 21, and then one three weeks ago, a revisit. And Tether is the big shoe to drop. I think it's going to be a complete nuclear uh, event for crypto. So at any rate, um, these people still don't get the joke. And they're still in denial. As the saying goes, you know, denial is not the name of a river, river in Egypt. And if there was more humility and despondency, and these are reading stories, I don't wish I knew one of people, you know, jumping out of windows because they lost everything in crypto. Maybe we could say we're approaching a bottom, but hell no. This has got a long, long way to go. One or two other points, and I'm going to open up to Q&A. Um, this has been an unusually long monologue that people, I've been told by a lot of the DNs, people like when I rant. Although I have to say, I'm maybe having enough caffeine this morning. I'm doing a rather humble, modest, low, low-key voice, not elevated fashion. Let's not lose sight of what's going on to the yen. Japanese yen. Oh, my God. Uh, we, we went out at uh, 134 and change uh, on Friday. Let me just pull this back up. Um, you have the world's the world's largest creditor country, creditor nation, um, whose currency is collapsing as if it were the Turkish lira or the Argentine peso. Um, the Since May 30th, I'm just looking here at a chart, since May 30th, the end's basically gone a straight line from 130 to um, 127 to 134. And this is extremely important for a whole bunch of reasons. Volatility, you know, going from currencies to fixed income to uh, equities in the Chinese and the rest of Asia can't be happy um, from what they see. And I'm sure it helps the Chinese are taking note and it's informing them about what they may want to do with their currency. And so um, again, when I go back to the, uh, the oft referred to phrase of the triple demerit scenario, for those of you that weren't around the triple merit scenario in Japan, in the 80s, as a young buck at the time, I thought I knew what I was doing. I couldn't do then. No, if I knew then what I knew now, I never would have done it. <laughs> so youth is a wonderful thing. But um, the Japanese bull market, one of the greatest bull markets in history, uh, in the late 80s, was driven by the so-called triple merit scenario. You had the troika of falling oil prices, a falling interest rate, and the yen, all conspiring to, um, rising yen actually, all conspiring to push the equity market up. Why was a rising yen a positive for the Japanese stock market? Because as the yen was appreciating, that kept that, that act as a deterrent to capital uh, flowing abroad. 
and said it got bottled up inside of the Japanese financial system. And that caused one of the all-time great epic bull markets. Um, the Nikkei peaked at 39,000 on the last day of 1989. Uh, a few years later, it was at 7,000. And here we are uh, years on and we're at 24,000 or something like that. Uh, that's a real bear market. And sorry, 27,800. That's a real bear market. What is missing so far in the public conversation in the public square is a concept of time, not just price. As someone said in these rooms, these rooms a few weeks ago, time kills you more than price because time is what grinds you down and really uh, diminishes the spirit and kills the animal spirit and particularly kills momentum investing, particularly kills momentum investing. So, um, coming back to Japan, we've got a currency, um, crisis on our hands. The Japanese so far, they know full well what they're doing. Um, you know, they're, they, 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 they're the last major central bank that's insistent upon maintaining easy conditions while the rest of the world is starting to tighten. Also footnote, you know, we did have the ECB late last week and they're making noises about starting to be really worried about inflation raising rates. So the whole rest of the world's raising rates and these clowns are still staying easy. Like, what did you think was going to happen? And I think it's really interesting because think about it. You know, the old line, never, never rely on the kindness of strangers. Well, the one thing about Japan, say whatever you want, they run a current account surplus. They're not, they're not dependent upon foreigners investing in their market. We are. So what our currency is doing, what our bond market's doing, is we, we need those capital inflows. And when you have you know, real interest rates, which are way out of whack where they've been historically, some of the lowest interest rates in recorded history, you know, and a central bank, which is woefully behind the curve. If you were a foreign investor, unless you're in a place like Turkey or Argentina, where things are completely out of control, I mean, or, you know, it kind of takes away your incentive to want to put money here. Or you take a look at what, you know, the U.S. government did uh, with the uh, Russian money in the banking system. And it's like, whoa, wait a second. Is the U.S. a safer place to invest as, as I thought it was historically? So they're playing with fire here. And so um, watch the yen, watch the RMB, um, the ECB we talked about. I think I put enough logs in the fire for now. So that's longer than I usually go. And let's get into it. I invite if you got a question, raise your hand. KFAB, I'm always, uh, you're, you're a sharp cookie. Um, I'd love to hear from you. What part of that you agree with, disagree with, whatever you want to talk about. And if you, anyone else, uh, please come on. KFAB, good morning. Please unmute yourself. Good morning, George. Uh, sorry, I missed the call yesterday. Looked like a humdinger. <laughs> um, and, and hope you had a good time on your vacation. Uh, the, the only thing I, I, I largely agree, we've been simpatico for the most part in recent months. Um, the one thing I'll kind of throw on, the, another log I'll throw on the fire, I wrote about it a few weeks ago or a couple weeks ago, I guess now, is um, uh, as far as, the, you know, as you know, when, when the tide starts going out, we start getting things popping up. And one that I, I don't see discussed a lot is the potential for the Swiss National Bank having issues. Um, you know, they're, they're another one of these entities that got into basically the hedge fund business or private equity business. You know, you get all this mission creep late in these bull markets where people start doing stuff that, you know, probably isn't a great idea, whether it's uh, and you, you covered several of them. Wait a second, joke coming alert. You mean <laughs> you mean you're kind of you're questioning the wisdom of their having 
bought AMC and GameStop. Is that where you're going with this? <laughs> just just <laughs> leveraging their balance sheet. Yes. I mean, it, 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 uh, I actually look, dug into it a little bit. I mean, it, you know, th- there's this question about whether central banks can actually go insolvent. And um, I mean, obviously they can print money, but that has ramifications relative to the currency. And, and I think people have started to get switched on to the yen issue. Um, but the Swiss franc has not been behaving as it normally does in a risk-off environment either. Um, and I think that has something to do with, you know, what, what they've been up to. Obviously, since, you know, the, the peg to the euro having uh, become a, a, a bit of a mess several years back uh, and then, you know, uh, su- subsequently turning the balance sheet into basically a hedge fund. So, um, yeah, I just think it'll, it's another area to kind of just keep your eyes out. Okay, yeah, uh, if I can interrupt. Um so I'm glad you raised the point about potential central bank insolvency. Of course, you know, the taxpayers will write another check to you know, plug that hole. And, and you're sharper on these Fed things than I am. So maybe you could uh, correct me here and, and elaborate. Did I see correct? Did I see correctly a couple of weeks ago? There were numbers being thrown around. I think the, the, the Fed, uh, the U.S. Central Bank is like 300 billion, 330 billion underwater or something like that. And, you know, historically, profits that the Fed would make would be sent over to the general treasury or whatever. But the bigger thing I'm concerned about is not so much are they going to be sending over 300 billion or taxpayers have to write a check for 300 billion. That's not the issue. The issue is you start to see stuff like that, the headlines, and it gets into investor psyche. I mean, you want to talk about I mean, we usually try to stay between the 30 yard lines in these rooms. I, I don't want to go to crazy scenarios like, you know it's just not helpful but you know like the road to weimar the road to losing complete confidence in fiat currency when people start saying oh wait a second the fed's now lost 300 billion buying bonds and who knows maybe 600 billion a few few months from now and wait the only reason the bond and that so the only reason the bond price is is the yield is only at 315 is because they were buying all this crap wait a second where would the yield be? Where would the bond price be had there not been this artificial market? Oh, so you mean the real clearing price for U.S. bonds is 4%, 5% for the 10-year treasury? And then plug that in your dividend discount model. And, and for $50 of double jeopardy, tell me what the P.E. on Tesla is. All right. So could you speak a little bit to, you know, where the Fed is in this? And also, I love I, I love your articles. And by the way, I urge everyone to follow KFAB. He writes a great substack. Um, you're a really good thinker around these macro issues. And I just think that this, these types of headlines that starts to get into investor consciousness is really, really, really going to undermine the credibility of and, and confidence in governments and fiat currency, pouring gasoline on the fires. Any thoughts about that, KFAB? Yeah, well, I think that's a broader issue. I mean, uh, you know, in my uh, nerdy complex systems way uh, of thinking about these things, it's it's almost like a fractal the, of of the broader decline in confidence of institutions. Uh, so, and God knows that the institutions have and the people running them have earned that to a large degree, whether it's response to COVID or you know the crony capitalism coming out of the global financial crisis, no one getting prosecuted. You know, the, the dual, you know, we just saw it with Pelosi's husband. There's like, you know, people are awakening up to the kleptocracy. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's really the reality of what, you know, the times that we're living in. And 
So I think that the Fed is one of the kind of last institutions where people have had this flawed, almost like Wizard of Oz, con- uh, Wizard of Oz confidence in them that they have like these, you know, and the Politburo of uh, only effective Politburo of managing the economy as if they actually have that power, uh, and 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 not only the power but they're good at it. Um, and and I think that that's really what we've started to see in the last twelve months. You know, we now have the apology tours that are taking place. Um, but as you've said, you know, it's the open mouth operations. Watch what they do, not what they uh, what they say. Yeah, and Keith, on that last point, help me on this because I don't pay attention. to I'm not really a Fed watcher, but if I understand, I mean, it was even through last night, last month, they were still buying crap. Do I understand? It's only going to be like this week is like the first week they're actually going to start selling some assets. Is that right, KFAB? Uh, yeah, I th- well, I think this week is the f- when they start. Um, I don't even think it's start um, selling. I think that they just run off. I mean, they're they're basically going to stop yep. um, reinvesting uh, proceeds from um, um, fixed income instruments that are maturing, and and that's there. There was a, a, I think it was a Substack that went kind of viral this week on someone in the mortgage market, basically talking about how MBS went no bid on on. Um, on on uh, this week, the, the real bloodbath late in the week with the CPI data. So you're already starting to see the market kind of convulse. And, um, you know, so I, I think we're at the stage now where it's interesting to start talking about a spreads widening, not so much because treasury rates are going to go up and they may, they may still go up to a degree. Um, hey, hey, K- hey, KFAB, I don't know what just happened, but you're getting... You're kind of in the matrix. So something just happened on your on your voice. We're having a hard time hearing you. Sorry about that. Is that better? No, it's not. You're very tinny. Okay. Tell you, hold on. I'll say come, again. I'll come out. Come back in. Yeah, yeah. Come out. Come back in. I'm going to yep. move on to some other while you come back. Um, so I'd like to go to my good friend Mark Ahodes. I haven't talked to Mark for a while, and then we're going to go to Mark Newman. So we're going to do Mark and Mark. Hey, Mark. Good to see you. What's going on, man? How's it going, George? All good, all good. Living the dream, my friend. It's uh, that's right. You're 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 you're, you're out in uh, Sonoma, right? Mm, I go between Sonoma, Montana, and parts unknown. So <laughs> Excellent. I, well, just, I, I, I know just... you're a person of interest. You're in the you're, you're in the Federal Witness Protection Program, so we're not going to be too specific about where I, you are. I keep it moving. So, I'm just yeah, not, so just, I'm just not this... welcome in Canada. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I I really enjoyed that that spaces yesterday, but there were a couple things sort of that that I think everyone's missing and one is no one's really talking about hedge fund redemptions coming up for Q2 and though a lot of fun is being made of you know the apes and Joe Sixpack you know Chase Coleman and D1 and all these other clowns should be tarred and feathered and, and run through town in a weasel suit how despicable they're performances and it really turns out that all these guys are huge over leveraged fee generating entities to only benefit themselves i mean if you probably look at the weighted average returns of chase coleman after fees after taxes i mean madoff outperforms him yeah um, hey, hey mark just you know we we haven't talked for, for much recently but I've been on the case full time my Twitter feed, and I've crapped all over him in a couple spaces. So I, I will give you all day, Mark. P- please talk Chase Coleman to me because I can't think of any person who more justly deserves 
being roasted in the public square than Mr. Coleman. I think, I, I don't think, I think it's the only question of time. I saw something the other day, I believe from inception, they've now lost, they've given back 70% of all their gains in the last six months. And I think it's only a question of time. It's a question of when, not if they will have lost money from inception. So if you want to go a little bit deeper on D1 and, and, and well, Chase and all the rest, have at it, Mark. It has, all it, 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 has, it has broader reaches. I mean, so let's just say Chase Coleman and D1 and, and some of these Tiger Cubs, they're, they're ready to get their, their heads knocked off. But what's going on, I'm hearing in the so-called professional spaces where, where allocators want money, all these guys have strict lockups. And you really can't get their money, and it's starting to roll over into hedge funds where you can actually get liquidity. Because no one's performing well. I mean, there's a few who are doing all right. But no one's performing well, and I think a lot of these allocators are going to want money back, and they're going to have to reach into funds which, which have more liquidity than these so-called tiger cubs. So I think the one effect that, that could start happening is these hedge funds who are over leverage are going to have to start going to cash extra quick because I think the redemptions going forward are going to be severe. And I don't think people are really talking about hedge fund redemptions. And some of these names, which, you know, as you know, are down a lot, could go down a whole lot more. So I think that's something that's, something that's out there. And... It's a huge black eye for all these pension guys and advisors who give money to all these clowns, just, just, just blindly. And I think that's going to have to become a much bigger topic, sort of on a go-forward basis. So, while... yeah, Mark, yeah, 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 Mark, I couldn't agree with you more. And let me just, let me just guide you just a little bit here, because you and I are probably two of the guys with the most experience in the room. It just strikes me, forget about what's going to happen this quarter this year. I think this is truly epic-making. I think this is a generational uh, event in much the same way that, you know, Japanese equity valuations reached levels in 1989. They've never never been seen since, and I don't think ever will be seen. I I think you've seen the type of insanity, and I know you know this as well, if not better than I, the levels of insanity that we saw in this bull run Never seen before. I mean, I mean, you and I are around in, in 2000, around in 2008. Those markets don't begin to compare what we've seen here. And, and I guess what I'm trying to say, there's a question here for you, sir, is that th- th- this is a truly generational excess in insane valuations. We will not see this thing, I believe, ever in our lifetimes. I furthermore think, and you're, you're, you live in the great golden state, you look at, I mean, CalPERS has been one of the most you know biggest investors with Chase, but just picking on CalPERS as... Uh, a representative example, the idea that these guys are going to ever consider putting money in this th- into these illiquid, you know, narrative-driven valuation, ignoring types of investments. I mean, I think it's not just Chase Coleman is going to go out of business. It's that I think this whole style of investing is out the window. I shouldn't have cursed because now we're going to have to edit it. Um, but no, but 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 seriously, this is we are done for. I'm going to put my my neck here. We are done for years. We are done for decades, all right? And this is all healthy, in my opinion, because this has helped underwrite the biggest malinvestment we've seen in our lifetimes. And maybe once and for all, the bullshit's going to stop. 
and we'll get back to real investing on cash flows and asset values. So I don't know what part of that you want to disagree with, agree with, pile on, but I just wanted to kind of pour get some gasoline on your well, I, 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 in general, I, in general, agree with all of it. And I always try to say, because I'm a stock guy, I'm not a macro guy, and I'm sure not a crypto guy. And anyone who asks me about crypto, I say I've never touched the stuff because I haven't had anyone explain it to me where it makes any sense with one, two, three, or even five sentences. But I think if we can get back or the markets can get back to a good deals go up and bad deals go down, that's all I've ever sort of wanted. But the insanity that's spread around it, anything from the Cartoon Network to Kramer to, you know, I say never watch CNBC, I'd rather watch roller derby reruns. I think what what has to happen is some of these people truly need to be tarred and feathered and made examples of so this shit never happens again. So, but, so yeah, I mean, I mean, that, I mean yeah. that's that's really the trick. The trick is, is if guys get charged criminally, I mean, Chase Coleman's probably taken, what, 15, 20 billion dollars or, or more out of his fund. And Plotkin, who's a complete disgrace. I mean, he's taken out God knows what owns the Charlotte Hornets with D1, all these guys have taken, you know, five to $50 billion out of these hedge funds and have returned jack shit to their investors on a weighted basis over time, forget fees and forget on a tax basis. And see, you and I are stock guys and we go back to the 80s. That's right, the 1980s where if you could find a good deal, it would go up and up a lot. And bad companies went out of business. I mean, this the shit that's been going on lately has been so insane. You you stop even discussing it because it makes no sense. And and the and the infomercial that's known as the Cartoon Network, where they get the the Kathy Wood disciple of bill wong and uh, religion and all this other bullshit going it's it's it, it it is laughable fringes on criminal and um and it all has to change and it's the crazy thing is it's happening very fast and it's happening in a, a great speed with with hyper leverage which is why these these markets are so hard and so volatile yeah and, and mark let me just i really would like to pick your brain a little bit here because you and i have a very similar worldview and there are very few folks with the experience um, and standing of, 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 of yourself. And so I'd like to kind of go down memory lane here a little bit. Um, let's talk about Miss Wood for a second. Um, I don't think anyone's been harder on her than yours truly. I, I'm just appalled. There is no shame. There is no honesty. There is no integrity. I mean, you've run real money before, as have I. Mark, in what universe, on what planet, could you imagine anyone, any person of good conscience, getting up and saying that they believe their portfolio is going to appreciate 50 or 60% compound for the next five years? What do you make of that behavior? So, Kathy is, is probably not a dope, right? She's not some flunky or lived in the streets or anything like that. She was basically a nobody, but she's not dumb. You know, she's, she's, she's flown under the radar for many, many years. 
she's not young. She's, she's probably our age, George, but yes. she was nothing. And then, and then out of the blue, being enabled by this criminal Wong, she appears on her growth thing, her arc, whatever that's called. And it's perfect timing, you know, crazy stocks, hyper growth, low rates, growth environment, and it plays. And it played like, you know, Garrett Von Wagner used to play and, and people who are new to the program, Google him. I mean, there's always these, these red hot people who, who come up and have huge returns for a very short period of time on not a big money base. And then they get big and, and the enablers. And I think the key here is the enablers. She has clearly has hired financial PR firms to promote her. And the financial PR firms promote Cartoon Network and the media and things like that to write about her. And she gets huge inflows and she plays it on a concentrated basis. And there is no punishment. There is no punishment for her popping off and promoting her things and making crazy statements. See, there used to be a time when you and I were half our age where we would be petrified of the SEC. Right. If the SEC sent you a letter or someone got investigated or they called you up and said, please, you know, I mean, I've been investigated so many times. It's not even funny, but it, there used to be a time where you'd be scared by it. Right. Like if you worked at Fidelity, you'd be scared if the SEC sent you guys a letter. I mean, Vinick was fired for talking his book on Cartoon Network and selling stock the same day. And, and, and he's a tremendous investor. So there's no fear in Kathy Wood. There's no fear that anything bad can happen to her. She probably doesn't have her own money invested in these things. And she keeps going. And she can say these outrageous things. And she can say outrageous things, pumping Tesla and sell the stock the same day. And no one says boo. I mean, you say boo. I could say boo. A couple people could say boo on Twitter. But there's no ramification. There's no adult or adult super, supervising anything. So if there's no punishment for bad behavior or, or craziness, then, then the path of least resistance is to keep doing it. And, and, and that's the problem here. The problem is no one, everyone has lost the the outer marker or the guardrails of any form of road. When money was loose forever, everyone bitched about it. The shorts got buried. I mean, CNBC made a mockery of Fleckenstein blank years ago. He'll never appear on it again because people get tired of being, being made a mockery of when you're intellectually honest and they see intellectually dishonest people, you know, make a ton of money. So people say, if you're making a ton of money doing this, you know, why not? And uh, I, I, I think that's the problem. I think the problem is there's no adults supervising anything. And when you pop off or pop off on Twitter, um, you look sort of fringy. You know, worst comes to worst, you get sued. I mean, I've been sued so many times I've lost count. And uh I'm not a defendant in anything currently. I'm actually a plaintiff in a few deals where I'm going to have some fun. But, but basically, it's been a adultless, uh, lack of supervision. Say what you will. The crazier you talk, um, 
no ramification society. That's that's right, right. And, and so, Mark, this is really I talked about this in a couple of spaces ago. This is sort of just another manifestation of so the the post truth society in which we live. That you know the truth the truth becomes whatever people say it's say is the truth. Nobody does any work. Um, and and you know going back to Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's uh, sidekick. You know, his line about incentives, you show me the incentives, I'll show you the outcome. I mean, people like Kathy Wood have all the incentive in the world to cheat, lie, steal, misrepresent, fabricate, deceive. And because, because you know, she's making serious coin off of this. Meanwhile, those who call her out, um, you're, 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 you're inviting the, the, the consternation of the crowd. And also, you don't have what's in it for you or I to go crazy on Kathy Wood. Not a whole lot. It's a whole lot less than the reward she's going to get for being right. And so, which then you've never, you're no shrinking violet. Neither am I. And that is why I and Mark keep. I mean, you and I first got to know each other reasonably well three years ago. And and, and I applaud your outspokenness. And I try to do likewise. People have to live with their integrity. People. This is why you. And I couldn't agree with you more. What you said earlier. If you see something, say something. It's like with the New York City subways, right? There's a general idea that polite people only, you know, praise specifically, that only criticize generally. I completely disagree with that because if if, if people aren't being called out for this bad behavior, um, it'll just continue. Now, ultimately, it'll stop because Mr. Market's going to come for them. But, you know, I've had people say to me, oh, you're trolling, you're this, you're that. Oh, wait a second, wait a second. You mean, you mean the fact that, I put I put up a tweet yesterday, Mark. You're gonna laugh. Jim Cramer on May 30th. It's in my feed. It's one of the most recent tweets. It actually, actually, in fact, it was the title of the room yesterday. On May 30, stocks are gonna have a very nice summer. May 30. It's 12 days ago. And now he's wringing his hands on Friday. Oh my God! What they really have to do is raise rates 100 basis points to get ahead of the curve. Blah 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 blah. I mean, there is no shame. There is no accountability. There's no transparency. There's no consequence. It's it's lawlessness writ large. I mean, and I don't think that, you know, we'll call it, you know, whether it's Gary Gensler uh, or, or, or any of the other re- regulators from the ABC uh, agencies uh, or, or it's Jerome Powell, for that matter, and the Fed trying to instill some, try to reinstill, instill some integrity in the financial system. No one, they all got to grow up here and, and they don't. And, and frankly, you know, you can't sustain what's unsustainable. You know, it's the the the, the old uh, uh, um, uh, law, law, the, I forget the uh, what's his name, um, not Epstein, the guy from uh, from uh, from uh, Carnegie Mellon. Uh, uh, it'll come to me. That that which can't go on won't. I mean, this thing is imploding, is collapsing under its own weight. And so, Mark, let me turn the discussion just a little bit. Could you liken this to your experiences? in liquidity-driven bubbles, specifically, let's go back to 2000, 2002, where what eventually what finally triggered the market collapsing was, and you go back to March of 2000, remember like it was yesterday, it was the Morgan Stanley Tech and Telco Conference, it was NASDAQ 5000, and the market started down in earnest. And basically, we just got to the point, there was just so much paper that it collapsed under its own weight. And um, so could you just, and the thing, I, I mean, I, I don't want to say this too loudly, but I'm going to say it. I said it before. I actually started thinking it's going to be true. The idea that just as the market didn't really let you get in on the way up here, it just kind of went straight up once they printed all this money. The corrections, you know, was it go back a couple of years ago? I don't think we had more than a 3 or 5% correction any given year. The market basically didn't let you get in. I'm starting to think the market, the trick here is going to be 
the market's not going to let you get out. It's basically going to go straight fucking down. Now, who knows if that's right or not? I remember 2000 like it was yesterday. You had this massive counter trend, you know, interlude rally in the summer of 2000. But even even the best and the greatest, I mean, Stan Druckermiller, you know, he is the GOAT. I mean, he's the, if there was a Mount Rushmore for hedge fund managers, he'd be on it. And I'm sure everyone read his comments. He spoke at the Iris Own Conference earlier this week, well, last, last week. And he said, hey, you know, uh, bear markets are tough. You know, I think it's going to go a lot lower, but there could be a counter-trend rally, so I don't want to be short, blah, 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 blah. The trick might actually be that this freaking thing goes straight down. So I guess two questions. A, could you compare and contrast this to past bear markets you've seen? And how does this strike you as being different or the same? And then, and then B, my outrageous suggestion that maybe the trick here is going to be the mar- the market's just going to go straight down because, you know, people talk bearishly, but as you look at the positioning data, and I hope Shrub comes back into this room, they're positioned bullishly. So two questions. A, compare it to past bear markets. B, the idea that maybe the trick here is that people, people are going to be shocked by the speed and or the extent of the decline. Thank you, Mark. So I'm going to date myself a little bit. So I'm going to be 62 next week. And I started at the Northern Trust in 1982. That's when I started out of college. But I worked my way through college as a brokerage assistant at Merrill Lynch as early as 1979. So I've seen it. And I've seen a lot. And I saw the stuff in 87 when my son was born, that that mini crash where they, the government at first bailed out Soros and Steinhardt. When, when we had that October fiasco, I'm sure you've seen that, George. We saw the Russian nonsense when subprime collapsed about three or four cycles ago. Crap in 2000, 2008. But what's very different here and something that I've never seen and I just don't know what it's about. And I did a couple interviews and the shit's all out there if you ever want to Google me, as I said it has the makings of a Frankenstein because no one alive has seen this excessive leverage in the market overlaid with hedge fund leverage, overlaid with ridiculously low rates, and now you have inflation. So no one, no one alive has ever seen this cocktail, and that includes Buffett and Munger. They've, they've never seen the low rates with significant financial leverage, both at the companies the world level uh, and in portfolios all mixed in with, with what's going on on the backdrop. Now, in the, when all the dot-com dot com, dot com stuff blew, if you were short that stuff on the upside, you got buried and you got buried before it all blew up. But there were places in the market where you could hide you know, non.com names were, were doing fine and, and, and you could find places to hide. I guess now you could hide in oil or inflation, things like that. But I think where you're right is what people don't see is this thing going straight down, staying oversold, sentiment staying bad, and it just going down till everyone gets blown out. And, and, and stocks in general look really cheap. But the, but the problem is, or at least the problem I have is, the volatility is so extreme and they move names around so fast 
if you're on the wrong side of it, and God forbid you're leveraged, you also get destroyed. And there is no, there's fear and there's talk amongst this, you know, these spaces calls or sort of on Twitter where people are bearish, but people aren't acting bearish. They're acting very complacent. And I don't watch Cartoon Network, but if I were to guess, they'd always talk now about whatever stupid guests they bring on. You know, is this the bottom or what are you buying? It's it's not like how bad can things get? Yeah, 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 Mark, Mark. It's always like that. one of my favorites. I got to put money to work. I hate right, that. Right, wait, I got to put. Like, what, wait, what, who what says? Who with? says? Who says you got to put money to work? No. And then well, somebody asked me the question. Says, "What should I buy?" I said, "What if the answer is to the everything bubble? This is the everything bear market. What if there's nothing to buy? People, people, like it, it's like mic drop. They're like, what? Well, it's just you know you mentioned you mentioned Kramer. So I go way back with Kramer and, and when he's on his meds uh, and he needs meds, he, he's, he's a good guy and he's fun to talk to and he's not so bad. And he, he used to try really hard. He used to try really hard to get it right. But I think Cartoon Network has put something in his blood where it's turned more, he's turned more into a carnival barker and a clown show and he's completely lost his way. And I sent him an email the other day and I just said, you know, just take a break, take a break, get your head on straight and try to do the right thing for, for the right people because you're really screwing it up and you're losing a lot of people, a lot of money. Yeah. So, 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 so and, Mark, yeah, Mark, let me ask you. So I, I know Kramer a bit as well. Uh, I met him, I don't know, 30 years ago at some stock ideas dinner, Byron Wien or whatever. So we kind of knew each other. And I actually like him. Yeah. Um, I actually took him, believe it or not, people are not going to believe this, I took him to a Celtics game once. I'm a Celtics season ticket holder. And this was a playoff game, the 76ers against uh, the Celtics, I think that a dozen years ago. And he was very well behaved. And, you know, he 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 was being taunted by people sitting around us because everyone recognized uh, who he was. And it was unbelievable. At halftime, we go up to the concession stand to get a beer and people are running up to us with booyah, booyah, Jim, right? And and, and my question is more than there's really a point here. There's a question to you. Um, he's actually a good guy. He's smart. Yeah. But I think he 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 loves the adulation. He loves the cheer, the cheering of the crowd. So, Mark, and, and he loves the eyeballs, the hero worship. So, you know, a bunch of us, um, I'm not going to mention names, uh, but Mount Cox is not in this room right now. There's a name. A bunch of us a year ago, um, dotted the I's and crossed the T's and served up the tether bear case to him, and he just whiffed. And is it that he just he just has his adoring fans, his minions, and he doesn't and he, and he won't do anything to lose eyeballs? Or is it corporate pressure from CNBC? Like, where did it go wrong? How did it go wrong, Mark? In your opinion? Well, here's here's how I kind of see it: is that anyone, you know, this George, anyone who does this at a high level or has done it at a high level, right? You included. There is no doubt we all have egos and we all have big egos. And you have to, and you have to have confidence in what you do. Otherwise, you will get your head handed to you. Every time I make a bet, I think I'm going to win and win big. And, and, and people think I'm cocky or this, that, and the other. 
No, I'm not cocky. I have an ego because I've fucking done it. And I've done it for a long period of time. And you've done it for a long period of time. And we've done it without cheating. And we've done it without fucking up. And we've done it. And the record is the record. Kramer has a huge fucking ego. Huge. He's also short. And short guys have other issues. And I think he is caught up in a, a loop, a negative loop that he just doesn't know how the fuck to get out of because he has not been this bad and this cold and this far off in a long time. So when you put excessive ego with horrifically bad results lined up in a corporate culture where he is the chief guy the Cartoon Network promotes, you have a very, very, very toxic mix. And I think he's caught up in this toxic mix because he's the only guy the Cartoon Network has who they can promote. He's colder than ice. He has a huge ego. He doesn't stop. He doesn't get off the train. He doesn't admit he's wrong. He doesn't own his mistakes. And he just keeps going. And when you put all those factors together with Joe Sixpack watching it, you just have a disaster. And hey, Mark, again, there, hey, there's, Mark. No, there's no adult saying, just get off and stop the fucking crazy train. So, Mark, so Mark, Mark let me ask you something. Um, I wanna, I'm going to tell you this story, the audience story, and I'll, do, I'll go first and you can do yours. So I'm going to tell a story about when I got in a bad place probably my worst period professionally in my career. Well, not the worst, but one of the worst, certainly. And this was the first quarter of 2000. I started shorting stocks in the fourth quarter of 99. And uh, I was guilty of a, a premature speculation. Don't you hate when that happens? But in any event, I got squeezed pretty hard. Uh, first, you know, end, of, end of 99, beginning of 00. And it got to the point by February, beginning of February, I couldn't take it anymore. And I fired myself. What did I do? I went to my assistant, uh, who Abe Eisenstadt went on to have a terrific career uh, on his own. Young, 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 young buck at the time, smart, you know, learner, really high IQ, street smart, the whole deal. And I said, Abe, I'm firing myself. He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm going away for a couple of weeks and I got to clean my head out. And I'm putting you in charge of the portfolio. Um, you know, kind of, you know, you can get rid of any position you want. I kind of took a lot of risk off before I went away. And you can do whatever you want. Don't do, don't do any major surgery here, but just sort of, you know, respond to things in the moment. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. I got to get my head clean. And this speaks to the concept, and I know you're familiar with this, Mark, the idea of mental capital as opposed to financial capital. We all stare at the sheets and we look at financial how much financial capital we have every day. But what's far more important is how much how much mental capital. I think I got that screwed up. We we measure ourselves usually the scorecards, financial capital. What's even more precious is financial is mental capital. And unless you can go to a place where you can be quiet and you look at a screen, you again. It's I think it was Einstein who said, you know, the the the, the defective thinking which got you in, the, in that position in the first place is you're not going to be able to think your way out. So you got to make space. And it was only then I came back a few weeks later and I went to that Morgan Stanley Tech and Telecom conference I mentioned a few minutes ago. And I could see there was no participant bias because I had no positions on. 
And, you know, I go to this conference, and then one day out of the blue was early March of 2000. NASDAQ fell 200 points. That was 4% at the time. And I'm like, and so it begins. And it did it again the next day. And it was only because my head was clean that I could see it. I hate when, and I'm sure you've been there. We've all been there, and people have to understand this. When your position owns you instead of you owning your position, when you're a passenger on the P&L of the losses that you're racking up every day, it doesn't work. So you have to step out. you got to create breathing space. And that's the only road to to salvation. It's the only way you can figure it out. And what you're saying sounds like Jim needs to do that. And Mark, if this, could you just relate? Because I, I think we learn so much more in failure and in our losses. And it makes us human. And it makes, makes us more credible. But I don't know. I want to embarrass you. But, you know, maybe you could share a story or, or two from your years of experience in the trenches, because you've gotten beaten up as much as I have. And, and just maybe, I think it would really be helpful for the people in the room. This is not just, you know, human interest stories, but it's trying to help people to, to how do you approach market, how a pro at the highest level like yourself goes about doing it. Explain the importance of mental capital and explain when you've been in a bad place, what you've done to get yourself to a better place psychologically. Thank you. Okay, well, I'll probably, that's a good point. I'll probably give people more information than they need to know. So I was never good at school. I was always told I can't. People always said no. Never went to a good school. And I'm just a worker. And when you fail, and you fail big, and I failed so many times, I've lost count. You, you realize, one, it's not the end of the world, and two, the people who really make it, and I think I've made it, is when you learn from your mistakes and you learn from your failings. And I failed as a young person. I failed as, you know, I've done a lot of stuff that's, that's really stupid. Never anything criminal, but you can be wrong and wrong big on many things. You can be wrong on the market. You can be wrong on names. You can be wrong on who you marry. You can be wrong on decisions you make. But what you have to realize is if you can learn from where you fail and where you make mistakes, the really good people or the good investors, you know, and, and really people learn from mistakes they made. So when my daughter was graduating the eighth grade, I was pals with her class. The kids liked me, and they voted me to be the commencement speaker. And I'm a little aggressive, as people know. And the board of the school said, what do you plan on speaking about? And I said, I plan on speaking about failure. And I plan on speaking about failure that even though you kids probably have gotten all A's, and you're going to all go to a really good high school and probably a good college, it's okay to take huge risk and it's okay to fail because you have to learn how to fail and you have to learn how to deal with adversity. Uh, and the sooner you can deal with it, the better off you are. And the board of the school came back to me, you know, two days later and say, we would like you to change what you're talking about because talking about failure at a commencement uh, program is not okay. And I said, I won't. And they said, well, then you can't speak. I said, fine, no problem. So they had someone else speak. But I think if you fail uh, in positions, if you fail in ideas, 
I've had a well-publicized run-in with Goldman where I ended up closing my fund, even though I was max bearish on various things and the market collapsed. I, I view that as a, a huge failure. And I view it as a huge failure because I was the captain of the ship. Now, granted, Goldman did a whole bunch of stuff to ensure that the ship sunk. I can't, I can't do anything other than to blame myself. And I said, I'll never professionally manage a dollar of money again. I'll just do it for myself. And I've done, and I've done fine. But I think the thing with failure and when you fuck up is you A, have to own your mistakes. B, you have to learn from your mistakes. And when you reach a certain age, and I'm at that age, you try to help others. Uh, not make those mistakes and you try to help people who you think are sharp not make those mistakes and uh, you try to give something back and you try not to lose perspective and you know one I can tell you know various stories is you know I have a disabled son he's 35 years old and he has CP and he's smart as can be and he's my best pal and I manage his money and I manage my money. I manage no one else's money. And he knows when I'm having a rough go and he knows when I'm having a good go. And he always just said, you know, never hang your head. And, and I look at the struggles he has, you know, daily with what he has going on. And, and he gives me tremendous perspective to push forward and to realize what's important and what's not important. And, you know, money comes and goes and, you've made a lot of money, George, and I know you've lost a lot of money. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's your overall. In a complete tank and you, you have to sort of keep it going. And one thing you don't do though, is when you're making a series of bad bets and you're cold as ice, you just don't keep anting up to the table. You need, you need a, a mental break and you need a break from the action because it's a good way of, of losing everything. And sometimes it takes me 30 tries or 20 tries in the name to get the thing right. And, you know, I can lose, 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 but you know, one day you end up, you end up making and making big. So it's, it's one knowing what you are, knowing your failures, learning from it, having some level of persistence, some level of sense, and, and you kind of realize out there who you should pay attention to, listen to, and who you shouldn't. And it's a, Mark. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a it's a complex thing. And the sad thing is, is you don't kind of realize it. I think your age begins with a six. My age begins with a six. You don't sort of realize it. You don't realize it when you're in your 20s, 30s, or 40s. You realize it sort of when you're in your 50s, 60s, or 70s. And if you can help people get through it, which is, which is why I give you a lot of credit with these spaces, George. You know, you're not getting paid anything to do these. You don't, you know, you're not, you're not getting paid $10 a head on, on these spaces. You're just trying to help people out because you're trying to give back for everything you've done and everything you've learned. I, you know. I try to do the same thing, but sometimes, you know. Mark, 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 Mark I have to say, I don't want to get soft on you, man, but I am so moved. Um, I am so moved to hear you speak in the way in which you do. This is 
you are doing such a public service, sir, for sharing your wisdom and, and what you've learned over the years. Um, you can do the investing public no greater service than this. And it's, it's what I really regret is that there aren't more folks like yourself who, let's call them the, the older generation, um, maybe not you nor I because we managed to figure out this Twitter thing, but as I keep saying, a lot of the old timers, they've been canceled, not canceled because of their political views, but canceled by technology, haven't kept up with, with Twitter and Reddit and Wall Street bets and all the rest. And so, you know, I try to get my former mentor, uh, Mr. Lynch, Peter Lynch, to come into these rooms and um, fidelity compliance wouldn't allow him. I said, but Peter, your voice needs to be heard in the public square. And, and, and there are many others. We had Stan Weinstein in here a couple of months ago. We had Dennis Gartman. I could go down the list. They're, they're, it's the older generation that really has the knowledge. You know, I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm not particularly religious. But in Judaism, you know, we, we, have, we have the Old Testament. Uh, but we also have what's known as um, the oral tradition. And those are the learnings, the teachings that um, one generation passes down to another orally. It's the wisdom. It's the wisdom of the religion. And what I fear has happened because of uh, the tsunami of liquidity um, that's overcome markets combined with technological change and, and social media and all the rest, that the, the oral tradition, as it were, for, 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 the, for, for the investing world has been lost. And voices like yours need to be heard, Mark. If there were more Elder statesman, if I can, if I can use use that as a compliment, I'll allow you to return the insult in, in, in turn. If there were more voices like yours heard in the public square, I think we would all be in a better place. And that's what I try to do here. And, 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 and I am so happy you came into this room. This has really been, I've done, I don't know, 40 or 50 of these. I have to think this is, this is actually the best room we've had so far. And, and I, 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 I'm so grateful that you that you, you've come here today, Mark. Seriously, this is you. This is this is it, it's, you, at this point in your life, my life. This is this is how we give back. And and, and Mark, again, I, I thank you on behalf of everybody from the bottom of my heart. This has just been superb. Yeah, um, it's 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 fun, George, and I like you. And I don't like I don't like many. And you know, I'm in a I'm in a weird place in my head because I was walking a horse the other day and took off its halter and it got spooked and bolted left and I have a busty humerus and I have a shoulder that's in four in four Oy. pieces with, with nine screws and two plates. So I'm Oy. kinda I'm not as I'm not <laughs> as physically doing this summer as what I should be doing. So gives me more time to be on these spaces and, and, and reflect a little bit. But I'm I'm a little I'm a little fed up right now. So that, that's Right. But I'm not. Mark, I'm not. I'm not on any pain meds. I have not taken one opioid or anything like that. I just took Tylenol. But it's right. Yeah. What's the prognosis, Mark? Uh, <laughs> the prognosis is the prognosis is they're very pleased with my range of motion, but I can't begin doing anything with my left arm for four months. So oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm 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 limited to lifting a pound with my left arm. So Got I'm it. a little. I'm a little up, but I know you're not a crypto um, expert by any means. You made that clear. However, just sort of 30,000 foot level to when I look at the influence that the crypto lobby is wielding, you have Sam, Sam Bankman freed. Um, I, I think FTX was the second largest contributor. And again, I don't want this to make this political. Both sides do it. So let's just be very clear here. But you have people like Sam Bankman freed 
I believe FTX was the second biggest contributor to the Biden campaign. I think they gave five million bucks or something like that. And then you see, you know, his mother is a is a pretty uh, heavy lawyer in the law school at Stanford Law, or whatever. I think she was an advisor to the Biden campaign as well. And again, this is not political. I don't. I'm not taking sides here. Um, I'm particularly appalled at what I see going on with, with 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 all things crypto. Do you have any perspective on the regulatory side and, and, and the amount of bad behavior in in, in, in crypto? Uh, yeah. So as you know or don't know, I'm heavily involved with T Zero, which is a part of Overstock um, that is more on blockchain than crypto. And I helped put together the deal between T0 and ICE, which owns the New York Stock Exchange. ICE's investment in T0 and the hiring of David Goon, who's CEO of T0. I think crypto started at 1.0 with the early players. It's now at 2.0 with Coinbase, Gemini, and FTX playing around. And I think we're going to go to 3.0 soon. And I think what's going to happen is the Coinbase's, FTX's, Gemini's, all these guys of the world, these guys are not run by what I would call financial executives. They're run by people who were born on third base, who made a great crypto trade when crypto was young and made fortunes, but they have no clue how financial markets or exchanges work. And while these guys can lobby and donate money, I think crypto and or blockchain and or alternative securities and tokenization is not going to go away and it is going to be the future. But I think it's going to be done by people like T0 with ICE, who knows how to run exchanges, knows how to run financial markets and all these pretenders are going to go away because they have no clue on compliance, how to work with the SEC, how to work with FINRA, and how to do things properly. And I think the hurricane combined with a tornado, combined with a wind shear, combined with crypto blowing up or tether, what have you, is basically going to create what I would call 3.0. Uh, And 3.0 is going to be these markets with real adults running them. I mean, that, that SBF or whatever he is, you know, who who sleeps on a, on a futon, nothing wrong with sleeping on a futon. I think all these guys are going to be parts of history. And I think the, the real, you know, blockchain, crypto, alternative securities is, is going to be, you know, with, real guys running the show who knows how to to play in markets because these things right now is just it's just complete and utter mass speculation it's just an absolute embarrassment and these guys grew so fast they outgrew the sec they outgrew finra they outgrew everybody and and by the time they got so big no one could regulate them so right. when you're un- when you're unregulated and you blow up and you blow the thing to the center of the earth out of those ashes are going to become real companies with real players with real money. And in you know and as you know George I mean how many times did Apple try and fail 
and did Jobs try and fail until they hit it? I mean, Apple, Apple, you know, what people don't understand is when you and I were young, Apple was just a complete fucking disaster because they couldn't get anything. They couldn't get anything. They couldn't get anything right. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. They couldn't get anything right, and 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 Jobs was viewed as a complete misfit. And and you know sometimes it takes a while to to hit it. And I think you know I think, and I'm highly confident that the current roadmap of crypto. And, and who the players are is going to look very different, very, very different six to 26 months from now. Very right. different. So let's hold, so. hold it right. Hold it right there, Mark. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to change the order because we've just gone on a crypto thread and I presume he's going to ask a crypto question, but again, uh, crypto bull, I don't want this room to morph into a crypto shit show. So if you have a focus question or observation, you want to contribute to what Mark was saying, that's great. But again, we're not, I'm not going to allow this room to become a crypto room. So, uh, Crypto Bull, you have a question for Mark? Uh, yes. Well, first of all, I've never talked about crypto so far in your spaces. But if if I may, I would I would like to say a couple of things. But if not, I would ask another well, question. Yeah, no, I, I really don't. Unless you have something really... Okay. So no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me make it clear. Let me make it clear. If you have a variant perception or an interesting different idea, which is not Captain Obvious 101 thinking that I can read on the front page of Barron's, I'll allow it. But if you're just going to express an opinion, oh, I think Bitcoin is going to fifty thousand, blah blah uh, blah. I I I I don't want to hear it. So I, I leave it to you. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry. No, I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> Absolutely. <clears throat> no, just want to say that in regards to regulation and uh, the innovation of the space, I actually think that this bear market in, uh, in not only in crypto, but in, in, in everything is actually, it's positive because it's going to polish the, the, the industry. <laughs> to be honest, what happened over the last couple of years in every market, as you have said, but even in crypto is incredible. And, uh, you know, we can see pictures, exchanges, uh, NFT, selling for millions and i think that the this bear market with polish all this stuff and uh, the crypto sector the crypto industry will come out of this much more strong which much which much more useful use cases over the next 24 months and i think that this will do part of the job in regulation so i think that in two three years from now we will need we will still need regulation but less that we will need that that uh, the regulation we need today, because the industry will polish itself and uh, uh, over the next twenty four months. So this is this is my this is my take on on crypto and the regulation. And regarding, I would like to to touch on Kramer just uh, thirty seconds. Yes, uh, and ask because he is he I'm sure is an in an intelligent guy, and I've heard about how intelligent it is from a lot of people. And, uh, you know, and uh, he has been wrong so consistently that I think he's doing it on purpose. So my question is, could it be that uh, they are doing this on purpose in order to create extra liquidity from retail for someone that has big position and needs some extra liquidity? And uh, who, who is better for, uh, to provide extra liquidity than retail? You know what I mean? So th that's my question. Because uh, otherwise, I cannot explain why Kramer is so consistently wrong. <laughs> yeah, crypto bull. I love the question. 
Mark, um, why don't you have that? I, 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 I think there's, I think there's no, there's no hidden agenda. I think the, the crazy part is retail is actually performing and behaving smarter than institutions and hedge funds. I don't think Kramer is, is necessarily playing with retail. He's, he's trying to play with to his stupid audience and to what the producers want. That's the crazy thing with him. That's the crazy thing with him. There's no, he has enough pride and, and he wants, and he has enough ego that he really wants to get it right. It's just, he's in such a slump and he's so cold and people around him are so scared to pull him off the air and say, just take a mental health break and go mine copper in, in Zambia for three months to get your groove back. He's just, he's just been flat out and is wrong. And <laughs> unlike George or myself or a couple other of my pals, people are, are sometimes just afraid to tell the truth. And, uh, uh, and, 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 and Cartoon Network, you know, I think their ratings are probably going down the drain faster than the market's going down. And I don't think they, they know how to, how to stop it. I, I really don't. I mean, I, mean I, I stopped watching this shit years ago. I don't know how anyone with any sense can actually watch that shit. But Mark, Mark, you know what's remarkable, though? Excuse me, interrupt. You know what's remarkable? If you and I sat down, and I say this in all seriousness, if you and I sat down and said, let's try to set up a parody um, account, making the lose as much money as quickly as possible, I don't think we could replicate his record. Have you, Mark? Have you seen this 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 Twitter feed? Yes. Yeah. Have you have you have you seen Inverse Kramer? Have you seen that thing? Yeah. He's in. Look, Inverse Kramer is great, and it's it's and and it on one hand it's serious, on the other hand it's funny, and if it wasn't if you weren't playing with people's hard earned money, it would be funny, but but the 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 problem is. If, if you and I were running CNBC or we were the head of content, I would just try to level with people and basically say there's no level of interest rate, folks, to get the price of diesel fuel, which is used worldwide for everything down, right? You could take rates to wherever you want. We need the price of diesel fuel down and we need it down big. Okay, that's the issue. Taking rates up 50 basis points, 70 basis points, 100 basis points, you're just going to knock people through the windshield. And all this stupid fucking talk about recession is a recession coming. Who gives a fuck? I mean, at the end of the day, people, you know, need guidance or straight talk to help them out. And all this bullshit that's always on yeah. the cartoon and, and, and others just confuses people. And my, 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 yeah, my, Mark, I couldn't agree with you more. It's funny. I've tried, and thank you for the comment earlier. I've tried my own small way to speak truth, you know, put 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 power to truth. And, and, and I'm so grateful that you're in here. I mean, you know, I think I'm doing great, but I've only gone from 2,000 Twitter followers to 32,000 in the last six months. Meanwhile, he's got a million point eight million followers and he's watched by millions every night. I mean, 
it's I'm a fr- I'm really afraid. I'm sad, Mark. I think inevitably that with the Cartoon Network and Kramer and Kathy Wood and in retail, I mean, Mark, you know this. TQQQ, the levered Q, has taken money in this year. I mean, the, Mark, Mark, Kathy Wood has taken money in in this year. These are things you don't see at the bottom. I'm afraid. This goes back to the question I raised earlier. I think this is a chance. This market is basically going to go. People are going to be shocked by both the speed and the extent of the decline. I mean, look how much this garbage has gone down. And these these mofos have been buying the whole way down. What happens if they finally get the joke and some of them want to sell? Well, then you'll then you'll go from thirty thousand followers to fifty thousand followers. I mean, the the, <laughs> the, the, the the one the one thing, George is. I don't judge a man or a woman by how much money they have. I don't really give a shit. I don't give a shit on Twitter followers. I have 15,300 people blocked because I won't listen to any bullshit whatsoever. You can disagree with me, but I won't take any disrespect. You disrespect me, you're blocked in a second. So it's not Twitter follow followers. It's that people, and, and I've tried to help the apes out with this, People are looking for direction. People need education. People yeah, yeah, need yeah, Mark, Mark, people. Yeah, yeah, Mark, let me interrupt. Let me interrupt. I'm not measuring myself by Twitter. I'm only using that as a barometer for well, where the crowd he, is. Yeah, but he has a platform, right? He, you know, you get to you get to turn on, you know, whatever CNBC is on, and you get to watch him. And yeah, but, con- but yeah, but you know what? You know what? You have some of these other jackasses out there. Like I'm going to name names: David Hunter. You know, one hundred eighty thousand Gerbakawa side people listen to this rubbish. Well, that then then hopefully over time, if people lose enough money or all of a sudden the light goes on, things will things will switch around, right? Things will switch around. My buddy Tom McKenna, he he always said, you know, money always returns to its rightful owner. You know, these yep. these things take time, but the but I will say, what month are we in June? I must yep. say, you know, the velocity of what's going on has been at a speed that I've never seen before. And this 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 volatility in in certain names has been has been mind numbing. Just 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 mind numbing. hundred percent. And I view myself as a tough guy and I think I'm like good at this. And it's very, very, very hard for me. Hundred percent. No, on a on a day to day basis, if you're coming or going. Hundred uh, percent. Yeah. Let, let's do KFab and then Mark Newman. KFab, you you want to weigh in? KFab. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I, for anyone who hasn't uh, checked it out, Kramer actually wrote a book on his career way back when called "Confessions of a Street Addict," and I, I read it years ago, so it's not something that's top of mind. But I do remember coming away from reading the book, having thought, and, and this is your point that you make all the time, George, that you know, there's nothing new under the sun. But basically, his hedge fund record, um, track record was built on luck, meaning that he happened to be in cash for the 87 crash, which he could then leverage for fundraising. And then he basically was told how to manipulate the commission structure on the street to get you know, got quasi insider information and play analyst upgrades and downgrades and then blow out into the the news. <laughs> um, and that was a large part of how they made their money in the kind of the early to mid 90s uh, before the regulatory regime changed. And then when that changed, he basically got out of the business. 
So, you know, I, I don't think he was ever, you know, he's not Stan frickin' Druckenmiller. You know what I mean? There's people, there's, he's not George Noble. P- people that actually are stock pickers that do long short. I don't think, again, he wrote it in his own book. So I don't think I'm slandering the man um, about how he made money. And his ex-wife wife was a really good technical tape reader. And she was part of how they made money. I, I don't think much of it had to do with Jim Cramer doing fundamental analysis and picking stocks. And that's basically how he's been branded on CNBC. And I, I don't think there was ever any evidence that that's something that he has a particular skill set in. 100%. Hey, uh, well, let's do Mark Newman and Prodigal. Mark Newman, what's up? Hey, Mark George. Hey, Mark. Hey, so first of all, you know, originally about 45 minutes ago, you said Mark and then Mark. And I want to thank you for taking questions because there's no way this Mark could follow that Mark. Okay. That's just too big an act to follow. So great respect to Mark Cahodes and really amazing to have him on here. Um, I wanted to sort of tie together what I've sort of heard here in the last bit. And Mark touched on it before. There's no adults around. You know, we're at this, what I think is nearing a Max Bezel moment in the J.K. Galbraith use of the term. Uh, Basically, you know, the insider trading busts that we're seeing, which are so small and so few and far between, they're like a million bucks here. Two million bucks there. The truth is that above 50 million or 100 million or any of the insider garbage, you know, the the SEC, Elon whole thing. Once you get to a big enough level in the orders of magnitude, it becomes this nobody wants to bust anybody in their club. Right. And so the little guys, the million dollar insider traders, they get busted. And we're sort of at that period where uh, I think KFAB hit on it earlier about the sovereign bubble now. And the truth is from OO to 079 recently we've never cleaned anything out right we've just built on the foundation that was the previous bubble tech real estate credit and now it has elevated to that sovereign level and i just think that the way we're seeing it mark just said before he's never seen anything like this before he said buffett and munger probably have never seen anything like this before i think that's right i think we never assumed that the order of magnitude level of irresponsibility in the fed the, you know, the encapsulated on the tech fin twit, everyone piling in and, hey, this is the greatest idea. We are at this period where there's no recourse, right? The SEC has no teeth. Gary Gensler is just a figurehead. I mean, Lee, Elon Musk said he doesn't respect the SEC at all. And so that is sort of the, the I wouldn't say the leaders of society, but that's definitely influencers in the finance world shaping the narrative. And so when we talk of Jim Cramer, He's an addictive personality. Uh, KFAB just said his book was uh, uh, reminiscent of a stock addict or whatever. He's an addictive guy. So even though he's not doing, he's doing horribly and makes terrible calls, he gets that rush, right? Going on TV and saying, oh, Bear Stearns, your money's safe. These guys have no idea. All these things. It's just a clown act. He's like a carnival barker. And I think that's sort of part and parcel where we are. That's why Andrew Ross Sorkin, that's why he has Sailor on. That's why he has Pompliano on. Because they're talking about this Bitcoin garbage and there's no recourse. Those guys put El Salvador in the worst trade in El Salvador's history. And he's like, oh, we should talk more about Bitcoin. What they need to do is say, you can't be on here anymore. But that's it's a ratings game. So I just wanted to comment and I wanted to ask Mark a question. I want to circle back here on two things. Okay, one is the liquidity he mentioned. And I wonder we didn't really talk too much about stock float and the combination of stock float plus leverage. And the options market, these things make it even more exacerbated. And then the last thing I want to leave, generally speaking, here on the sovereign, going back to KFAB just before Mark, 
you know, I think that next week's FOMC is sort of important. I think the bigger one is June 23rd CPI in Japan. Because when we talk about that sovereign, and Belkin had talked about this on a bunch of spaces ago, he thought the MMT experiment was reaching a max point in Japan. And I think that next, uh, sorry, the 23rd CPI is a bigger data point for sovereign activity than next week's FOMC. So, Mark, maybe you could just talk briefly about the liquidity in the stock float world, uh, because I think there's less stock floating, well, greater liquidity, but, and greater leverage, or less le- liquidity, but, more leverage. Before before I get into that, what you said when you started off, you've had what I'd say is an aha moment, right? That What you said, if the investing public were to utter what you said, people would then get it, right? You, you get it because you now get it. You get what I'm talking about and what bothers me so much. And, you know, a guy like Porter Collins, who I think is probably operating at one of the highest levels I've seen in in decades, gets it. My buddy Jared in Canada gets it. Roland Kuyper gets it. There's so few people, George gets it. There's so few people who get it, but you articulated the aha perfect storm moment that's here, which is why, you know, I don't like give a f- on 50 basis points, 70 basis point. Yeah, it, it just doesn't matter because the, the sheer velocity of everything put together is so f-ed up. You need someone or people need someone to say, here is what's going on, folks. Brace yourself because this just doesn't end smoothly. It just doesn't. Yeah, instead so- of instead of just the fucking happy gas that they just try to keep plugging everyone into to play the bounce. And yeah, there'll be a bounce. And yeah, bear market rallies are bad. And blah blah blah. You know, on and on and on and on. But you know, folks, Carvana has gone from the high three hundreds to twenty bucks really fucking quick. But, but cumulatively, the people who are short Carvana lost their ass because they were shorted from 40 to 380. And instead of the liquidity and the float thing, which I'm not really good at, and I don't like talking about anything I'm not good at because I'll just confuse people. What I'm good at is the Jaguar in the tree. And when I say I'm interested, only interested when the Jaguar falls out of the tree, Carvana is the textbook of the Jaguar falling out of the tree. And when you're supposed to get out of something, whether either sell your long or short. And this market is quickly or getting close to approaching the Jaguar in the tree, where if the Jaguar falls out and it hasn't fallen out quite yet, it's going to be very hard to repair the thing for a long time which gives George's thoughts about peak valuation in his lifetime, you know, more credibility that if, if people all of a sudden get scared and people start sell becoming less sellers of the stock or selling Kathy Wood or selling the triple Q's or whatever the f- they want to sell, things can get, things can get out of control. And that, because, 
Yeah, Mark, Mark, let me interrupt. I'm going to actually act as Switzerland. Mark Newman to Mark uh, Cotes. I'm going to be the go-between here. So, Mark Newman, um, I'm going to put a question to you. You can give, you can maybe frame a good question back to Mark Cotes. And that is, just like in Japan, for those of you who don't know him, uh, I've known Mark Newman for, oh, my God, uh, 30 years, I believe, or thereabouts, almost 30 years. And Mark started his career uh, on the Tokyo desk for Merrill Lynch. And when I was um, very active in the Japanese market, my first hedge fund in the 90s, that's when I first met Mark. Um, And Mark, let's go back to another time, another place in Tokyo, where um, for those that are expert in things Japanese as you are, or were, the idea that the large cross holdings in the Japanese stock market that made for effectively the, the, it was, you had a very small float. And the effective market cap, if you if you canceled everything out, was actually much smaller. So let's say we had a typical, you know, Zaibatsu group company like Sumitomo or Mitsubishi or Mitsui. And let's say there's Sumitomo Bank or Sumitomo Rubber or Sumitomo Real Estate or Sumitomo. So let's say you have Sumitomo Chemical, which is not a large cap stock. And let's say it's got a market cap of a billion dollars. I'm just making numbers up. But let's say 80% of the uh of the of, of the of the stock is owned by group companies so the available float uh, was only 200 million out of billion and then let's say that you get mindless momentum uh buying coming into the market uh, it wasn't so much index buying it was more just housewives just throwing money at anything that would move chemicals going up a lot because the float is not that great and momentum but gets more more momentum and then you got into the whole tobashi thing so I'm actually stealing your question mark, but I'm setting it up for you, whereby company A would raise money and company B would raise money and company A couldn't buy its own stock, but company A would buy company B and company B would buy company A. I'll buy yours if you buy mine. And so on the way up, as long as the drinks are flowing and liquidity is good, no problem. It's like safe sex. Who, who, nobody, no, but no price discovery at all. But when, because of inflation or whatever, that the, the they have to stop serving the drinks and someone needs to start selling because what's the matter? You got a little liquidity problem there, Mr. Newman? There's no legitimate buyer on the other side. So, Mark, you maybe want to tell stories like I'd call up and be yelling at you. Oh, well, imagine that, right? We'd want to, you know, short 10,000 shares of Sumitomo Chemical, let's say, or 100,000 shares of Sumitomo Chemical. And let's say it's a 1,000 bid, you know, a thousand shares at a thousand, a thousand shares at nine ninety, and you'd say, "Well, George, you know, I could sell five thousand down to nine fifty, and I'd be like, Newman, are you crazy? That's down five percent." You'd be like, "Well, that's all there is," and we'd hit the bid. We go to nine fifty. The only problem is you got ninety five thousand behind that, all right. And the funny, I mean, we were involved in some good old recreational shorting, so it wasn't a problem. But if any legitimate owner wanted to sell, it, there was no bid. It was a complete fugazi of a market. So you go, from, you went from a market where there was no to one where all of a sudden people are trying to find some price discovery. And the Nikkei went from 39,000 down to seven over a period of a couple decades. So Mark, I don't know what part of that you want to add to embellish, disagree with, but I just wanted to set the, set the context for you, Mr. Newman. Yeah. So, uh, Japan Inc is a different mindset than the USA. Right. And I spoke to my old friend, Jillian Tett, who runs a big, big wig at the FT. We were friends in Japan when she ran FT Japan. And I said to her, I said, Jill, what's the difference between people here in this in in the States now 
behaving in their interest versus in Japan as sort of a part of social behavior, if you will. And she highlighted, and she's a anthropologist by name, PhD, and she said the uh, ability to work together and the desire for cohesion. And if you think about that, George, in the cross shareholdings that you talk about, that's why they never really paid huge dividends in Japan because it was like, why would I pay this guy when he's just going to pay me back in the shares of his company that I own? Similarly, they couldn't buy their own. So there's this whole, I won't sell if you won't sell, and we're protecting Japan Inc. as to not be as aggressive. Now, the foreigners, they have their own views and wants and wishes. But here in the States, like, let's think about all the big Tiger, Kotu, D1, Whale Rock, etc. Those guys are sort of in a similar game in the sense that they're in these private deals, right? And that everyone's sort of marked to make believe. And they're also in these big, large public companies. But I think that the rubber meets the road difference is here, people are more willing to, you know, for lack of a better term, screw your neighbor a little bit. Like it's at the end of the day, it comes down to me, that investor. Whereas in Japan, the guy was like, well, that's my neighbor and that's my friend. And we are both Japanese and we are in the same Japan Inc. So I think that's a slight difference, but it still speaks to that liquidity, George. We know that if Mr. Sato and Mr. Suzuki are not in the market because they're not participating, George Noble comes in to sell something. Well, it's George Noble against a much smaller pool and then liquidity becomes a major issue. So I think that that uh, sort of difference is why Japan is allowed to muddle along more simply and in, less, in a less vol environment, whereas mm-hmm. here – People are willing to just be like, right? You know, yeah, yeah, Mark, I agree with your point, but that—that's how it's different. But I want to go back, but I want to get back to the key point here. In service of making the case for why the market could go down much more savagely and severely and rapidly than people perceive, is when you go from a market where there is no price discovery to one where there is. It's sort of like you know, I'll give you, I'll give you a different example. Let's say you got, you know. Uh, I don't know. Um, you, you have you have Enron. Um, you know it's going up and up and up and up and up and one bullshit story after another and blah 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 blah. And then all of a sudden one day it's discovered that wait a second they're bankrupt. The idea that well it's down ninety percent how can I sell it? People are anchored off the last sale. That's the wrong way of looking at it. If it's bankrupt, it's bankrupt. Although. In this crazy market, we've seen scenarios go back to Hertz a couple of years ago where it's bankrupt and it goes up, but I digress. The point is, when there's no price discovery, when prices become completely untethered from reality, and, and, and there's no there's no financial gravity at all, and then all of a sudden, you know, Cody's throws the switch, and now we got gravity, you got a little bit of a problem there. I mean, how would you respond to that, Mr. Newman? No, that that's right. Look, so for a very long time, especially the last decade, we can all attest to on this call, on this space. Fundamentals took a back seat. And I think that was enabled by the, you know, decade long money supply, money push and lower rates. And you know that in Japan, obviously that zero interest rate has gone on for mostly for, well, George, 30, we're going on 30 plus years now, right? So that's why the, um, that's why the, fundamentals and sort of the zaibatsu, the cross holdings that you speak of in Japan are less impacted because ZERP has been in place forever. Whereas here now we are in this, what, 
six month, eight month, 10 month hawkish regime. And all of a sudden, fundamentals start to matter a little more. At least we can say the shittiest of the shit are being thrown out. That's the first to go. So then the, if, if we're really in this firmer rate regime for a much longer time, then these fundamentals matter. And then liquidity matters more because it's not as readily available in a higher yeah. rate. So, 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 so it's coming together. Yeah, Mark, I, I want to go to you, but let's just start with, I'm going to give the floor to you. I want you to go to one specific point that Mark Newman just made, the last point he made. Have you ever seen a career in your career? Because I haven't. My whole career, I thought there was some relationship between the underlying value of a company and its price, but never have I ever seen such a disconnect between value and price. Or, to me, stock prices in the last few years have been more, much more a reflection of how much liquidity is in the system than any inherent value of, of the underlying assets. Have you ever, ever seen such a, such a large disconnect, Mark Otis? Yes, and where this jog my memory is, I was thinking a jaguar in a tree, and then I was listening to Mark and you talk. So a long time ago, and most of you won't know this name, we were short iOmega. And iOmega was a manufacturer of something called a zip drive and a jazz drive. And we got so destroyed in the name, I think the year we were short, we must have been down 35%, something like that. And we had to cover the stock for damage control so we wouldn't go out of business. We thought the thing had topped at 26 up from a dollar and the stock was 55 and we were destroyed. Absolutely destroyed. Covered about 90% of it at or close to the top. Huge disaster. But our scenario began to play out uh, and they missed a quarter and the stock immediately went from 55 to about 28 and I stuffed us back in I Omega, and David Rocker almost killed me. He almost lynched me for getting back in the thing huge. Then they had more bad news, and it went from 28 to 17, and we did more. And then they had more bad news, and it went from 17 to 10. And David Rocker said, let's just cover it. We've end up, ended up making money, and we were losing, so this is a huge win. I said, no. Because iOmega is going to go out of fucking business. And it doesn't matter it's at 10 down from 55, which is down, let's just call it 80%. I think they're going to go out of business. And we ended up making a fortune in iOmega from stuffing the short from 10 to 4. And we covered the thing sub a dollar. And my point and the short answer to your question is we may may underline that word a couple times be entering a period where bad companies and bad behavior can go out of business instead of things constantly being bailed out bailed out bailed out bailed out you know build a high rise in quicksand if we can get into a period where bad companies go out of business right where you look at kathy wood's holdings or Gerber, whatever his, his last, however you pronounce his last name, his holdings, you can say this company in six to 25 months will not be in business. I don't give a fuck. It's down 80%. It's going to go down 100% from here. It's still, you have plenty of time to still get out. And that's the mindset that may 
and should begin to change. Not all companies are going to go out of business. There will be a future in good deals going up and bad deals going down. But there is no future in Carvana as you know it. Yeah, right? the, the, the stock could be 22 and people will say it's 22 down from 360. Where have you been? Well, if you paid attention, you would have been out at any point in time. But if it goes from 22 to four, you're going to be happy you sold it at 18 or 16 or 21 or wherever it is. And, and it's, it's sort of a mindset, George, a mindset overlaid with liquidity, overlaid with expectation, overlaid with arrogance, overlaid with no adults in the room, overlaid with people just saying, I don't want to be anywhere near this shit show. So although I've made a huge mistake not selling it now, Selling it now, at least I get yeah. something. Yeah, Mar- I mean, Mar- Mar- it's, yeah, it's 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 the mindset, the the mindset where people may talk bearish, but as you said earlier, they're all fully invested. Yeah, Mark, 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 hundred percent. Let me just pile on another way. Let me take it another way. I love talking to you, man. Let me play it another way. I went to a conference in December of two thousand eighteen. Um, it was uh, in New York City. They had one of these uh, buy side conferencings. They had the, 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 the rich and famous, the, the great minds giving their stock picks. And they had this fellow. I'll, I'll refrain from using a stronger term. This fellow, I'm not going to say gentleman, but this fellow who got up and was extolling the virtues of Carvana. I never heard of it before at that point. And going on and on, it's going to be you know, the Amazon of used cars and blah, blah, blah. And listen to this whole bullshit. And, you know, you're a pretty quick study. I am too, Mark. I can look at financials in 10 minutes. I've got a pretty good sense of what's going on. Look at the financials, the margin, the valuation, the ownership. There are a couple of Seeking Alpha articles out there about, the, you know, as you would know, for, you know, I know you know this, Mark, but others in the room may not know the scam accounting and the, the not arm's length transactions. And in 10 minutes, I had a pretty good sense of what's going on. And this guy got up there. I think he owned like four stocks, maybe five stocks. Let's say five. Let's be generous. Hey, Mark, could you imagine my portfolio with five five positions? He had like five 20% positions. Let's just say for the sake of the argument. So talk about hubris. I mean, your arrogance. All right. You, you all have to be, have some of it. Well, well this, is, this, is, this is that Cliff Sosen guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, well, well, it, gets, it, gets, it gets better. So, <laughs> so there is a guy on Twitter, Henry. Henry Reardon. At Henry Reardon. That's not his real name. And he's a young guy, and he's Canadian. And, and again, him and Porter, in my mind, are operating at probably the highest level I've seen investors operate at in decades. These guys are knocking it out of the fucking park. I mean, and, and they're right for the right reason, and they have things bet right. So this guy, Henry, reaches out to me when Carvana's like at 300. He says, can you help me with this? And I said, like, what's your story? And he tells me and he sends me his stuff. And I just said, you're, you're right on track, but your story is just too complicated. You know, you need to speak in eighth grade so people understand it. And, and he adjusted his pitch and the company has blown up and they've fundamentally missed and he's all over it. And he sent me some interaction that he had with Sosin, you know, when the stock was 300. And he sent Sosin all this fundamental information, how Carvana was completely f***ed. 
And Sosin responded back and so disrespected this guy that it was, it's just absolutely staggering how arrogant, wrong, and stupid Sosin was because Sosin let stock price do his analysis rather than looking at the fundamentals. And I, and I mentioned to Henry, I said, let this motivate you that this cocksucker is so disrespecting you and your work that you just never, ever, ever let up, ever let up. And, and Henry, he, he's, he's shitting on Carvana every day to this day. Man. But these, these guys who, who confuse a one bull market with brains to let stock price do their analysis and, and, and things like that. You mix that in also, you, you throw that spice in the chili with everything else we've discussed. You know, you're, you're, you're really dealing here with a witch's brew. And, and someone just DM'd me about, you know, Julian Robertson. And, and I like Julian and I've known Julian forever. But, you know, Julian blew himself up you know, short Japan, you know, in, in, you know, that period you were talking about and blew his fund up, you know, in 2000 created these tiger cubs. And now these tiger cubs in, in 2022 are blowing up the market. So, so there's, there's, there's all these wild factors out there that all seem to be, you know, the pins in the shoulder at the same time, which is, you know, which is just going to create, you know, quite, quite, quite the environment here. Mark, I, co- but, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, I like the way, as, as always, you, uh, your, 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 your pros and choice of action to summary up these geniuses. Um, there's a phrase I know this will resonate with you. For all I know, maybe you originated it. Some I got it from somebody else. It's something along the lines. And I'll say it twice. I'll say it slowly. I'm not young enough to know everything. I repeat, I'm not young enough to know everything. You get run over enough times, like you and I have, my friend, and you you get humbled. And you re- the more you the more you learn, the more you read, the more you realize you don't know. And you have these characters like this fellow you were just mentioning about the Carvana, the Sosin character. He was the one pitching Carvana in December of eighteen. I took one look at it as a complete flaming pile of shit. This is worth nothing. I had no position in it. I've never touched a share of Carvana because I always also looked at the short position which also goes back to the market structure point we're talking about before about small floats. And I'm like, you know what? Not my cup of tea. I'm not going to be long. I'm not going to be short. Here's a remarkable thing. I think the stock was around 50 and it went to whatever it went, 350. It was only a month ago. It got back down to the 50. I saw it. <laughs> I saw it. This well, is 18. And, here, and here's the point. Here's, I want to talk about pricing. If you can't forget it, because we all, we're all human. We're all frail. We all get anchored. It's what the psychiatrist, psychologist call, you know, recency bias. If you came down from planet Mars, Warren Buffett comes down from planet Mars and said, okay, or Mark, you come off the spaceship with Warren Buffett. It's like, all right, Mark, Cody's. here's this company Carvana. This is what they do. These are the margins. This is the balance sheet. This is what's happening in the industry. Here we are in the economy, blah, 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 blah. Here's a scam accounting, blah, 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 blah. What is this thing worth? And I didn't show you a chart. I think you'd say no bid. It's just not my cup of tea. Which is... Exactly, exactly, which is why I'm bringing up the Iomega analogy. Yeah, no, hundred percent, Mark, 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 Mark. The entire Mark, we're saying the same thing. Is Iomega on steroids, in my opinion? That that's that's what I believe. That see, 
th that can be, but I always go stock by stock by stock, right? Because as a person who's too skeptical for his own good, I always try to take market out. If market helps me, no, no, no. I, what I'm trying to say is, if market is the win in my back, yeah, that's a pl that's a plus. Yep. But yep. every day I wake up, I yep. assume I'm flying into a headwind. No, I'm Mark, and, Mark, and, and, and and if I wake up and there's a tailwind, yep, God, God bless. Yeah, me. yeah, Mark, Mark. The only person that's more excitable on this stage than you is me. So as as my one, I overstated the case. I 100 percent agree with you. All I would say is there's there there are more stocks in this market. Let's leave the market out. There are more stocks in this market. There are more IL Omegas in this market than you can shake a, shake a stick at. All right. Yes. And, you know, so, so, you know, we're not going to allow this is the first time I'm so blessed again. Thank you for being in this room. We are not going to, just as we don't allow large commentary on crypto, we also do not allow uh, a lot of ink on the electric car company that shall not be named, but that's another one. Okay. If you came down from planet Mars and you say, okay, this thing's on nine times sales, your typical auto companies on half of revenues. And this thing has no moat and blah, 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 blah. Where should it sell? Forget about the narrative. You'd look at it, and in all seriousness, Gordon Johnson, who's not in this room today, but who's forgotten more about this company than anyone else on the planet knows, his price target is 67. Last print, 698 bid. And he actually believes that 67 is too generous. It's too high a price. Go George, ahead. George, Go ahead. George, Go ahead. If, yep. if, if the entire crowd, right, that entire bunch, would have just listened to my Jaguar out of the tree scenario. Yes. I could have saved them billions, yes. tens, of bill tens of billions. These guys all, right? It's not about fundamentals all the time in stock prices, folks. There's a lot more to it than just fundamentals. And if these guys, you know, the, the Tesla short crowd, right, who, who buried themselves, they got so arrogant with their view they didn't realize they're shorting a guy, you know, L. Elon, who's basically above the law and untouchable in this country. And once you realize that this guy is above the law and untouchable, shorting his entity is a death wish, right? And, and, and until something changes, right? The stock may go to zero, in a minute it's just not for me because this guy is above the law no one wants to take him on nothing has happened to him for everything he's done or said the stock you know even here is up god knows what you know and tesla may be it may be the best short at 139 and seven eighths on its way to 20 then wherever the it's selling at today right and, and and see there's 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 a difference because there's more to it than go than go on between model three model z model k sending guys to the moon landing this that and the other he he represents a period in this country of someone who is clearly above the law 100%. and 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 no one no one has the balls to go after him. 100%. DOJ, SEC, uh, president, right? And, 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 and to go fight it, right? 
is like me as a much, 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 much younger guy going to fight an Iomega at 22 bucks, yep. right? And, and once uh, you've been completely run over in your life, as you know, that's not a feeling that you want again and again and again. Right. And, and, and I love your example. People should, if there's one thing you should take away from this comment, Mark, I have to tell you, this has been the best space ever. And you are a true national treasure. Seriously. I mean, this is your calling. This is my calling to try to teach people. And this is, I mean, we never give picks in this room, but your experience, your wisdom, as I always say, wisdom, you know, it's, 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 it's a bunch of one of what you learn from your mistakes. You and I have cornered the market on that. And, and I have to say, this is probably the best single space we've ever done. So I, I want to thank you for that. Let's get some other questions in here because because I don't want to monopolize this whole thing. And we're going to do Prodigal because he's had his hand up for a while. And then it will, God. So, so Prodigal, you got a question for Mark? Prodigal? Please yeah, I was going to make a statement and then ask a question. Uh, I apologize if there's noise. I'm in Cape May. It's raining and I'm with a bunch of kids. So if you hear screams, that's what it is. Uh, I mean, I agree with everything that's being said in regards to fiscal and monetary policy and what's coming. I mean, uh, you know, everything is being even more complicated now with, you know, you have the dollar strengthening while oil is skyrocketing. It's going to go up even more, right? Even with the release from the, from the strategic reserve. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, outside of that, there's a lot of geopolitical risk that can make this even worse. You know, when uh, you get a downturn of this nature, which... You know, a lot of the talking heads try to downplay it, but now you see a break with that with Goldman Sachs president, with Jamie Dimon recently, et cetera. Uh, it can get worse. You know, the Arab Spring wasn't a push for freedom and democracy. It was due to food crises. And we're seeing this start to play out in Peru. Uh, you know, a lot of these countries that took out the, a lot of debt for COVID or, you know, were overledged to begin with, they're starting to see uh, the chickens come home to roost, whether it's Sri Lanka, Egypt having to take a $2 billion deposit from Saudi Arabia, et cetera. So, I mean, I, when you say this can get worse, I think, you know, one thing we haven't talked about is, you know, Israel signing that deal with Saudi Arabia is showing a push with the Gulf states that, you know, they're probably going to move on Iran. Now, this deal with Iran was supposed to be done months ago. And, you know, that's one area that can flare up. You look hey, at Turkey. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, I want to keep the conversation. Yeah. So, so my question is, if you have a question, please. Yeah, my, my question, are, are any of these models taken into account? You know, these geopolitical risks, whether it's Turkey, uh, you know, starting to assert uh, its influence and, and, and basically warmongering against Greece or the threat of Israel, Iran. I mean, I, I agree with everything else regarding, you know, the, the, the uh, superstorm coming. But, you know, are, is, are any of your, uh, you know, companies taking into account, you know, these geopolitical risks that are most likely going to flare up once oil hits 175 and the famine start, you know, the race started in Somalia, et cetera? If, 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 thanks, Dr. Prago. I would just say, listen. There's so many ways to lose in this market and so many, so few ways to win. If you've been in these spaces before, um, you will have heard spoken about a lot of the risks that you just enumerated. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, what Mark was touching on that, you know, <laughs> the price of oil, the price of food, forget about all these, you know, 50 basis points, 25 basis points here and there. You, you, you fingered a lot of other risks. They're just, you know, so many ways to lose in so little time. We've been going at this for over two hours. I, 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 I thank you for your for, for your comments, but it's just it, it just comes with the territory. All right, just hold, let's hold right here for one second before we go any further. Um, I this has been I have to say this has been the most fantastic room that we've had, and we've had a lot of great ones. And one thing, and Mark, I don't know how you are familiar with this, but um, aside, you know, I, I believe in giving back. I know you do as well. One of the things we've done in this room is we've actually raised over $200,000 for World Central Kitchen. 
Um, the room has been incredibly generous. We've had over 700 donors so far. Everyone in this room is dealing with first world problems of how to protect or increase their net worth. And there are people out there that have much bigger problems than we do. And um, so we identified a charity a couple months ago, World Central Kitchens, and we embarked on a, a fundraiser for them. Um, we've raised to date, I think, $217,000. And we had a, a very inspiring leadership challenge gift from uh, Alexander Stiles in the room today. Um, and it's just been extraordinary. It's, it's been nothing of its kind has ever been attempted before. I think we've raised more money in Twitter than any other than any other Twitter space room so far. So um, with that, um, we haven't really passed that much of late. I'd like to introduce or reintroduce my colleague, Carol Strone who uh, works closely with me and she's head of development and marketing, all these other good things. And so Carol, if you could just say a few words about what's going on, we'd be very much appreciative. Carol. Hi, George. Um, hi, Mark. Mark, I have been so struck listening to both you and George talk today about uh, helping one another and, and passing things on from one generation to another life lessons. And you know, one of the reasons that we chose World Central Kitchen, which is providing food aid around the world, um, most recently high profile in the news in Ukraine, but also currently in Bangladesh and Brazil and Mexico and New Mexico. Um, you know, I think a lot about what makes a, a, an organization great and it's their ability to harness people on the ground in local communities to help their neighbors. And it grows exponentially. And what they were able to do from the very beginning on the ground that no other organization has been able to match in Ukraine so far is extraordinary in providing something like over 20 million meals now. And not just meals, but getting seed distributed to farmers and food kits and uh, as the Russians are moving in on the Eastern Territory right now, they're rushing food to certain communities before they get cut off from food supplies. Um, it's just to say that they have been so inspiring to everybody around the world in the past couple of months. The thing about disaster relief philanthropy is that about a third of all giving happens in the first month. Uh, then another third happens in the second month. And by six months, most of the private giving dries up. So we were fortunate in the first eight weeks to raise over 200,000, as George mentioned. And we're hoping that this group of listeners will keep on going and um, continue to give where there's need around the world and not forget the need that exists right now and that is not getting better, it's only getting worse. So. Again, I want to thank all the people in the room. I don't have everybody's email addresses to be able to thank people personally when they give anonymously on the World Central Kitchen site. So thank you to those who we do know, like Alex and others, but thank you to the hundreds who have given as well, who I just haven't been able to thank personally. Um, and let's keep on going. Thank, thank you, Carol. And um, again, um, you know, uh, Carol and... Um, uh, 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 RJ and um, uh, Jack, they all work with me uh, to uh, help the cause here. Again, Mark, you very graciously pointed out, you know, I'm not doing this for any personal benefit, neither are you. So what we've, we, we decided two months ago, that we, say, we say to people that have gotten value out of this room to please give generously to World Central Kitchen. 
Um, I think we have the best spaces on Twitter, period. And it's because of people like yourself, Mark, you're giving and hopefully, you know, your time hopefully inspires others to pay forward. Uh, I'm not too good at this Nest thing. I believe I posted up the link to the Nest, although I can't find it. If people can't find it, go to my Twitter feed or Carol's, Carol's Twitter feed. I did retweet it out. It's right a, at the top of my feed. Okay, great. And there's a, either Carol or myself. And again, I, the Nest isn't quite working right. But in any event, um, we've raised, I think, $217,000 so far. None of it goes to, you know, World Central Kitchen's highest ratings by the uh, – in the nonprofit world and they're doing God's work. I mean, these seriously, I mean, Carol, Carol, maybe you used to tell a story or two about, I mean, they're literally getting bombed on. Isn't, isn't that the case for some charities you may want to talk about with the pandemic and how a lot of charities just went out of business and don't, don't have the infrastructure to, to help these types of relief. relief yeah. Efforts. I mean, there are a whole, there are several key reasons. Uh, one is that COVID actually reduce the staffing at a lot of a lot of organizations that normally go into disaster relief areas that just weren't um, man and womaned up um, staffed up enough to to be able to be of help the other is that a lot of organizations limit their mission to natural disasters and people don't consider a war to be a, na a natural disaster so it just was beyond the mission statement of, of a lot of organizations um, and then of course the third one is a very personal decision from the board on down and 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 the staff and the leadership and the staff as to whether they're going to put their staff in harm's way. Uh, and I, thanks to the leadership of Chef Jose Andres, who's an incredibly charismatic leader, brave leader, um, selfless person, his entire staff is of the same mindset. And, uh, you know, and they just have a winning formula for getting quickly on the ground and mobilizing you know, volunteers on the ground, transforming entire communities into you know, a war effort, the likes of which nobody else has been able to replicate. So if anybody has any questions, feel free to DM me. I'm happy to talk to you more about it. That would be absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much, Carol. Thank you for everything you do. And uh, we're on to bigger and better things. And we're going to keep raising money for World Central Kitchen. So now we help each other, the community that we've built here. Built here. But, you know, it's, who would have thought that we could raise a couple hundred thousand dollars in, in, in eight weeks? And we really, you know, many of us we've never met before. I mean, this is, we're really building a sense of community here. And I want to thank any everyone, anyone and everyone who's given. This has just been absolutely fantastic. All right. So, so let's move on. So, Oil God, we're going to go to you and then Porter and then O'Hare. Well, God, my friend, please unmute yourself. How are you? Thank you for that, George. Very lovely to speak to you. And uh, congratulations again on a fantastic space and all you're doing for the world. Um, you know, everything that Mark had said earlier leads me to believe recency bias is just one of the things that plagues North Americans. Um, so I have a few questions for Mark, and he can take it in any which way he'd like. But, um, you know, I, I think what we're seeing here today will, as Mark had said, will revert back. But Mark, I don't know your track record, but, you know, just from one human being across the Internet to the other, I just want to tell you, you're a great person. I don't care necessarily what your numbers were in the past, but the way you take your time to explain things and also you discuss the way you deal with you within your own family. I think uh, we, we, we'd be very lucky to have more people like you step up and not just talk about. Uh, sort of how to manage money and what to look for, but the humility behind it. So I just want to congratulate you on a fantastic introduction to George's Spaces. Um, my, my sort of question and comments to you have to do with the age 
of the workforce here in North America and the average age of the people managing portfolios and giving investment advice and uh, managing these funds. And I'd like to argue as well that if they were guiding Jim Cramer in the broadcast studio, these aren't 60 plus you know, year old people with 30 year plus experience. I think we're at this generation now in wealth management and portfolio management on an institutional side where, look, the, the, these people in your ilk have gone through a lot. They've gone through 08, they've gone through the Trump era, they've gone through now COVID. And it just feels like many, many more portfolio managers that I'm seeing or taking a back seat um, to just what it takes to think forward, if you will. And, and George, I'm actually going to pick on somebody that I was listening to a portfolio manager uh, at Fidelity with the name of Mark Schmel. I don't know if it rings a bell to you and you don't have to answer that right away. But Mark Schmel manages one of the most flagship innovation mandates that Fidelity has in North America. Fantastic track record, 2019, you know, you had all the COVID winners. I think he was up closer to 90%. I don't actually remember the exact number, but it was, you know, it was one of those very, very good ones where he jumped on the Shopify train and blah, blah, blah. And obviously I was listening to him at the time and he had said he'd never invested a dollar in fossil fuels and oil companies again. And now today he's sitting around 30 to 40% in, in oil and gas. And so it just makes me think, and I want to ask Mark his question with respect to the experience here in North America, what the average is doing in the stewards of capital. Uh, I would love his comments on that. And then the second question I have for Mark has to do with what may be coming next. And, and to me, you know, this climate narrative that Biden and obviously we have Trudeau here in Canada uh, pushing to get votes with the millennial being the largest of the population has done so much damage for investing in the oil and gas space, to Prodigal's point. Um, you know, is it really a situation where, you know, everything is just going to crash and goodbye stock market, we can actually lock the front door for the first time? Or, or is it going to just be this great rotation into, again, inflation-protected commodities and really for, the, for an indefinite period of time? So, Mark, so I'm going to cede the floor back to you, and I just want to thank you again. You're very kind. <clears throat> And those words mean a lot to me, really do. So I think George is going to appreciate what I'm going to say. So, so let's say I'm 62 and let's say George begins with a six. I do this a lot for the love of the game. And, and I really am a purist and enjoy the business for what it was and the market and being able to figure it out. And I've had huge success, and I've also had huge failure. Huge, big. And it's part of what makes it, right? When you do, it's kind of like coaching. I understand why coaches quit, and I understand why they come back. Because to me, there's nothing, nothing, nothing worse than losing. I hate losing. It's awful. It's horrifically bad. And the only thing that's different than losing is how great it is to win. And to win like Super Bowls. And to really get it right. And the conflict between the lowest of lows and the, lowest and the highest of highs is what makes a guy like George and I and a few others tick. 
and why you can't give it up and why I have plenty of money. I don't need any more money. And so does George and so do others. But what you want to try to do is give it back. The, 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 the really great ones and the people who are in it for money, the older people don't give a fuck. So they're not interested in helping others out. They could care less. They'd rather fly their private planes and do the golf thing and, you know, which is totally fine, but they have no interest in making this business better or trying to help people out, which is why you don't have the older crew involved in helping people out because there's a, a burnout factor. There's a huge time factor. There's a life's too short factor. But for the people who really have this in their blood and who do this for the love of the game, like me and like George, it's worth doing. And the problem is there's so few people left who do that. It leads to a vacuum of inexperienced people who have no real clue of what they're doing, who haven't been stressed enough in life, who are used to be being told they're always right and they're always great, and they're always super, and they've never had adversity, which is why you're you're you know set up for the problems that we currently have or could have in the future because they've never been they've never been tested, they've never been told they're wrong. They've never been told they're foolish. They've never been told they're going to lose all their money if they keep it up. And, and, and that, to me, yeah, is a huge issue, a huge issue, that there's no real teaching that goes on, that, that people use recency. If you're up 90%, you actually believe you're up 90%. Well, let me tell you, I've had years since I've been out of the hedge fund business where I'm up 250%. But that doesn't make me feel like I'm smart. I'm my own worst enemy. And when I have a great year, it's not like I'm smiling or think I'm smart. I focus on where I fucked up. I focus on my losses. So, I focus, I, you know, that I, I beat myself up hugely when I screw up, even when I'm overall doing well. So Mark, so, so, yeah, Mark, I could not agree with you more. Let me, let me, let me. You can breathe for a second. I'll, I'll let, me, let me, let me, take some of the air out of the room. I could not agree with you more. We are cut from the same cloth. The operative term that you that really resonated with me was you said for the love of the game, for the love of the game. Let me tell you a story. Those in the room that don't know, didn't know him or knew of him, there was a there was a gentleman uh, named Jack Nash passed away a few years ago. Um, one of the great, uh, all-time great investment greats. Um, good friends with Michael Steinhardt in the 80s. They absolutely killed it getting long the bond market, um, you know, from 1981 and rode that sucker for, for a decade. Um, and, you know, multi-billionaire. That's when a billionaire was a lot of money. And a good friend of mine, um, went to work for him. I, he was actually my first investor, Jack Nash. And I introduced him to a friend of mine uh, who Carol knows who went to work for Jack. And one day my friend uh, is in, uh, walks into Jack's office, like seven o'clock at night. 
And Jack's sitting there reading the paper, eating an apple. And my friend says to Jack, what are you doing here? Like, you're a billionaire. Why are you here? It's like, you know, 7, 730. Why are you here? And Jack looks up at him and he's like, I like to do this. Is something wrong? The guy's a freaking billionaire and he's there and he's, you know, he's there at seven o'clock at night reading the paper because that's what he likes to do. This is what I like to do. This is what Mark Cody likes to do. I had a fascination for numbers. My dad was a mathematician. And back in the day, and Mark's old enough to remember when, we would get the, the, the paper. And, you know, you'd go to the business section, be pages and pages of stock prices. And I had a fascination with numbers. And from that, you know, sprung my interest in stocks. My uh, initial investment strategy, you talk about mistakes, Mark. <laughs> I was 11 years old. First stock I bought was a REIT. This was in the bull market in 1968. My stock selection process was highly sophisticated. I selected stocks on the basis of who had the coolest name. Advanced Systems. It was a REIT. It went bankrupt. At any rate, it's for the love of the game. I'm a simple guy. I know Mark's a simple guy. Yeah, I like a good bottle of wine. And Mark lives in Sonoma. He likes a good bottle of wine. I ride my bike. I don't have a fancy art collection to show you. I do things because it's the right thing to do. Unfortunately, people like Chase Coleman and Kathy Wood and Raul Powell and Chamath and Jim Cramer and the pricks at D1, and I'm not going to redact that from this conversation, and it can go on and on and on. And Goldman Sachs, they do things not because it's the right thing to do, they do things because they, they can get away with it. And I think it's a rare person in this room who leads their life with that credo. You do something because it's the right thing to do, not because you can get away with it. I remember going to Goldman Sachs. This was, oh my God, I can't remember when it was, 2007, 2008, before the great financial crisis. Maybe it was later. I can't even remember when it was. And sitting down with a senior partner of the firm, a guy with whom I have a personal relationship, a friend, and saying, you know, I'm like, dude, why don't you guys provide some leadership on industry regulation? Because if you don't self-regulate, I got news for you. Someone like Elizabeth Warren, who's freaking clueless, they'll do it. They don't know where the skeletons lie. They don't know what the real problems are. They'll come up with bad laws, and it's not going to stop anything. Much better, you guys don't know where all the skeletons are because you buried them, and you'll also prevent stupid regulation. But no, they wouldn't want to hear anything about that. Why? Because they're too busy lining their own pockets. And I'm going to end my rant with a question back to Mark. Wall Street's never been a place for Boy Scouts. We know that. We know that. People go there because the money's there. But... The problem's been that this bubble over the last four decades started by Alan Greenspan passed on to Ben Bernanke and Jenny Allen Jerome Powell. Go down the list. The, the hyper-financialization of the economy has resulted in the financial sector going from, I don't know, whatever it was, like 5% of GDP to 25%, whatever the numbers are. They're all over the place. Used to be finance just provided utility function, providing risk capital 
channeling savings from savers to those who need the capital. But then somewhere along the way, we can go back to, you know, Glass-Steagall and the Clinton administration and Bob Rubin and all the rest. The game changed and finance became an end unto itself. And the table stakes became so large that it increasingly encouraged uh, bad behavior. I mean, when I started at Fidelity, it was in 1981. I was a summer student in 1980. But in 1981, I went to work there. People like, Fidelity, what is that? You're managing $8 billion. Could have made 50% more money going to work as an investment banker. I was a stock nerd. I like numbers. Go into a meeting in a conference room where there's, you know, a dozen guys, 15 guys sitting around a table. Peter Lynch with his, you know, ripped corduroy suit. We're stock nerds just telling stories to each other. There was integrity. You're using your head. Now it's just a giant game. It's a gamification of the stock market. And again, you show me the incentives, I'll show you the outcome. This has to stop. It will stop. It is stopping. I think that's where we are in the cycle. And so, Mark, question to you. Has it ever been as bad now as it's been in the past, Mark? No. I mean, no by a factor of 10, but, but, the, but, the, but the problem, George, is when you say something and people are so short-term, what have you done for me lately, instant price, and you're early, you immediately get dismissed. And thinking people get pushed to the back of the room because the loudest voice and and stock price or short-term stock price movement matters. And, you know, everything you say, A, is not only true. I started out at the Northern Trust in 1982 when interest rates were God knows where and the market was terrible. I was making 17500 a year and spending $20 a weekend uh, to live on and, and have fun with. I mean, but that's when all you had to do with stocks was find good deals would go up and bad deals would go down. And we're going to return there. The problem is the leverage in the system is so extreme and the money is so huge to keep the game going. Guys like me, they've tried to silence, you know, now for years and years and years and years. And I, you know, it's it's clear the only I've said the only job I'd ever take is to run the SEC because I could clean this fucking shit show up in about three months. Mark, Mark, right. Mark, Mark, you, Mark, you and me both, friends of mine have said to me repeatedly, I should become head of the SEC. Yeah. I mean, you yeah, and I, I mean, you and I could fix it. You and I could fix this in five seconds. You and I could fix this in five seconds. No, it would, it would, it would take three months. It would take, it would take six weeks to bring in the right people, and it would take another six weeks to bring some great cases, and we'd clean this bullshit up. And then it would get fixed and then everyone would realize what's going on because people, people are smarter than, than, than society gives them credit for. People know right from wrong. It's just this misleading people and trapping people in these false narratives, which is so fucked up. 100% Mark, 100%. And, 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 and therein is, is the issue, you know, and the, the great thing about Twitter, I mean, forget what Elon Musk may or may not do with it is, all this stuff that people to listen to is free. 
and there's there's huge value in Twitter. And if you huge. know how to date, and if you know how to data mine and who to listen to and who not to listen to and what to figure out. I mean, I met this guy, Henry Reardon, on Carvana, and I can't I can't even begin to tell you how much money that guy's made me. And 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 I give him full credit. I mean, he's made me so much money in Carvana. It's it's overcome all my long losses this year and then some. And and it's because of Twitter. And and and, and the morons who run Twitter don't realize what they have. And for all you folks listening out there, pay attention to people who you think know what they're doing and ignore the people or bet against the people who are completely full of shit. And if something doesn't make sense to you, it's probably not right. And if you can't explain your idea to a eighth, ninth, or 10th grader in a paragraph or less, you probably shouldn't be in it. I mean, there's, there's just, it's just, we're, we're, we're at a point where I think the separation is going to be extreme. And there's going to be a heavy price to pay if you're not paying attention or just listen to the party line. And, and, and if nothing else, everyone just needs to think for themselves and, and be accountable, you know, for your own actions and, and think of what's going on. hundred percent, Mark. All right. So we're, 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 we'll and, do this. And, maybe and, to... also, and also George, I got about, I got about 10 more minutes. All right. All right. Okay. My, so, my, right, buddy, so, so... my buddy Shally's coming by to visit me and I got to go awesome. pick up some lunch. All right, all right. So, all right. So why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? Mark's got 10 minutes. Uh, I'll run the room for a little bit more than 10 minutes, but um, I'm going to call pe- I'm going to call people. If you have a question for Mark, great. If not, please pass. And I'll come back to you once Mark leaves the room. So in order, um, we'll do Alexander and then Porter and then O'Hare. Uh, Alexander, great to see you. Thank you again for your leadership uh, gift challenge. If you have a question for Mark, that's great. Otherwise, um, please hold it until Mark leaves because we've only got 10 more minutes so mark alexander good to see you what's on your mind my friend yeah hi uh it's nice to have me um guys i'm gonna pass this time on for someone who has a question to mark i just wanted to say i follow mark for a long time I, i'm 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 really uh a big a huge fan of his and i think the word that uh, has not been clear out there yet, yet is it's integrity right the love of the game or integrity and you guys have it and that made you 100 percent. i, sh- I shut shut up here and no it's all right alexander, alexander, do me a f- alexander alexander do me a favor stay on stage because once mark leaves i want to come back to you uh yeah. let's now go to porter and then i'll hear hey porter what's up hey guys how we doing Porter, doing great, saying, Porter. What's up, I was, man? I was saying good things about you, Porter. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So I have a question for, for, for Mark. And, and I'll, I'll first, uh, I want to tack on to his comment about the love of the game. We, we had a, uh, Vincent and I had a uh, institutional investor ask us kind of recently, said, you know, what do you guys do for a hobby? And well, we said, well, you know, our, our business is our family. Right. And that's number one. And we certainly aren't CEOs of that business. And, and our, our hobby is this this business of, of stocks and this is what we love to do and this is our hobby and so i you know that, that's the way i I've, I've always thought about it um but my question for mark is that listen you know and, and george is the same way we've all been fundamental short sellers and it feels like you know those fundamental short sellers are, are gone and 
And it's part, one of the problems, I think, with the market. You know, when, when Eisman first trained me, you know, m- my first stock I looked at was, was household financial. And, you know, he and I, you know, basically h- helped put it out of business because they were ripping people off and they were had a scam and, um, you know, they were ripping poor people off. And, you know, th- then it goes to, you know, Eisman stood up in front of Congress and called out these for-profit education companies that were ripping people off. And, you know, thankfully, we got a uh, proctology exam from the IRS because the CEOs uh, of these companies uh, told them to investigate us. But that's neither here nor there. And then, you know, we, we helped Michael Lewis write Flash Boys to, to do away with this bullshit about um, uh, flash trading. And, of course, they didn't do anything. But, you know, like, oh, listen, that's the way I was trained. And, and you know, my hero in the stock business is, Jim, is, uh, is Chainos. And the guy does a phenomenal job of calling bullshit and, and on, on the, the, the bad actors. And he's not one of these, as Mark calls them, smash and grab guys. He's a real fundamental short seller. So my question to, to uh, Mark is like, how, how do you think about this business? Cause, cause you know, Bill Wang ha- helped to put a lot of these short sellers out of business. You know, how, how do you think about uh, shorts and the way shorting is now? It's just a lot, feels like a lot different to me. It's a great question. It's a compounded question, and it's something that I struggle with where I try to mix the love of the game with trying to do social good. And, you know, was I out in front on drug pricing? You know, I helped put Concordia out of business, that Canadian thing. Did I get sued for it? Yeah. Did I invest, get investigated by it in Canada? Yeah. Stock went to zero. Um, problem is, the problem, problem is there's so much money around Porter that you start pushing too hard. Like I pushed on my medics where two guys ended up in prison. You get the FBI on your ass, you get investigated. You, you know, it will come out what the DOJ and FBI tried to do to me. It will come out what companies and lawyers and fund managers were involved, what they tried to do to me. Um, There becomes a, such a human price you pay for speaking out against this shit because the money on the side is so big. It becomes a real mental battle of how you want to spend uh, the rest of your life. Now you're much younger than me. And uh, you know, I'm, let's say I'm 62 and realistically I have, you know, 10 good years left in a minimum before my mind starts to get a little wonky. Uh, hopefully it's more than that. But the pressure to conform, the pressure to not expose wrongdoing is significant. And, and the benefit you get, other than feeling good about yourself, making a difference in the world and doing bad guys in, you know, you, you put yourself at great risk. And, and there aren't young people out there who really want a part of this. I mean, the people who you mentioned, I mean, Chanos is older than me. You know, Eisenman's no spring chicken. Um, You know, they don't teach this stuff to you at Harvard. I've spoken at Harvard, spoken at Yale, spoken at Stanford, spoken at Columbia, but they don't, the, the money and the incentive is not there. And as you said, all the good short sellers, they're all out of business 
because it's so fucking hard. I mean, I love it because it's so damn hard. But, but you know, one could argue I belong in a fucking straitjacket for some of the shit that's, that I've been through. So it's, it's kind of a, there's a social good and a good feeling about putting bad guys and bad companies under. Some, most people need to make a living doing it, and it's and it's hard to do because you get squeezed into oblivion by Wang, by the Tiger Cubs, by that fuck Chase Coleman, by D1, by what they do in Carvana. It's hard to run a business, but it's the right thing. To do. So you need you need sort of whistleblower regulatory protection that that that, that the FBI doesn't visit you that criminal senators to make your life difficult. I mean, I've been audited numerous times, investigated numerous times, life numerous times. It's not the way an average person wants to go through life. And and it's it's very very as you know, conflicting. The highs are really high, the lows are really low. And you know, as as people listening and I don't mean this in a condescending way. The lows, folks, are low. I mean, when I say low, they are low. <laughs> the highs are hey, Mark, really Mark. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mark, let me, ask you, let me ask you a question just following one thing you said. So I have a theory. Can't prove it, but, you know, I'm from New Jersey. My bullshit detector is pretty good. I think yours are yours as well, even though you're not from New Jersey. Um I believe there's, uh, and I'm not suggesting you know anything. I'm just asking sort of pattern recognition, sort of hunch. I believe that there's much, there's a huge story to be told between relationship between Kathy Wood, Bill Huang, other related Asian interests, Elon Musk, et cetera, et cetera. At a minimum, at a minimum, Huang used Kathy as a useful idiot and front ran her flows. I believe it's quite possible that it's far more incestuous than that. There's an easy way to figure that out. All the drone, pa- all, all that, all that Kenzo has to do is go in and, and compare the trade, the trading account side by side, playing against Wood. I know you don't know anything, but just based on your bullshit detector and pattern recognition, what is your best guess? Or put it this way: How plausible do you think my 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 my, my theory is, and is it is it deserving? Of a, of, of, of a complete uh, investigation and review. In other words, how incestuous is the link between Wood, Huang, and other related parties, and possibly one of the greatest manipulations ever in history? I think your bullshit detector is right. I have to know a lot, and there's a lot I can't talk about, but suffice it to say, I have strong reason to believe that Huang was an operative for money launders and bad, bad, bad foreign interests. I think Wang and his relationship to various tiger cubs was at a minimum. And has to ask themselves how and why is Chase Coleman so interested, involved in whatever in these various Chinese entities, including Luck and Coffee, which was a complete fraud, GSX, which was a complete fraud? Why couldn't he do it 
with base Chinese names, not to mention mismarkings. And the whole thing with Wang is someone and people need to ask themselves, how can a guy who is banned from doing business with Goldman Sachs on their blacklist all of a sudden get himself unbanned, use extreme margin with the primes looking the other way? The enablers of the brokerage firms, media, uh, law enforcement looking the other way on these guys, I think is is extreme. I think it'll all come out. The problem is George. At which point the damage will be done, and if the damage is done, everyone's going to say yeah, they're going to have an investigation and why did it take so long? And the stuff I gave Warren, Warren staffers, what Warren staffers know about Citadel-related uh, stuff, uh, their role in who gets bailed out, pulling by, you know, it's all, it's all there. All there to play, but let's do it. And no one wants because it's the truth. Hey, Mark, hey, Mark, 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 Mark. Yeah. You're breaking up on us, my friend. I, I, I suspect you're in motion. Um, we're having a hard time hearing you. So I don't know if you just want to stop here and we can even have you back for another room uh, or something you can do to fix the connection. Otherwise, I think we might want to call it a day here. Your call. Yeah, I think I'm near my, my end time anyway. We can do this again, George. This is a lot of fun, and uh, you know, I hope I hope people got Mark, out of it. I... Mark, Mark, I say this on behalf of everybody in the room. It's been invaluable. This is your calling at this point in life. You and I have a similar worldview. I implore you, I beseech you, I beg you to please come back. This has been the single best room. Don't waste your time with the AMC apes anymore. You're helping people. The MC apes are beyond help. This this is where you belong, my friend. George, I appreciate it. I'll be back. My my priority number one is to get my arm and shoulder fixed. And uh, but this is this is fun. This is great. And we'll do it again. Mark, we'll you have again. a good one. We'll see you too long. We're gonna keep the room going. But Mark, you're dismissed. Go take care of your arm. Take care, George. Bye. Take care, Mark. All right, so let's go back to Alexander, and then we're going to do O'Hare. Alexander, the floor is yours. Hey, George, nice. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, this is a fantastic space, really. Uh, thank you for doing this. And I just had um, two comments and then um, maybe a question. Um, so um, number one, I thought this was really uh, important what Carol just explained about, um, you know, the timeline, sort of when people are giving and that things fade over time. And so maybe in two months' time, we want to connect and see what we can do together to, um, you know, have a similar initiative again and make, you know, don't don't let this Ukrainian uh, thing go and, and make sure that we can help some more. Alexander, I can't thank you enough. I mean, seriously, you, uh, I just want to point out that when you came along, I think we had $81,000. Carol, you, you remember the number better than I would, $81,000. And Carol, it was was we went we kind of went like eighty one to two hundred, didn't we, Carol? Because I was Alexander. Yeah, within a, I think it was when within two weeks, maybe ten days, we we got to our two hundred goal. 
So extraordinary. The power of uh, this community and the power of a matching gift and your leadership, Alexander. So thank and you. Thank, thank you for, for all you're doing for, for, for these people. And uh, thanks, George, for the spaces you do and the knowledge you provide and therefore make people help also. But just quickly again, Carol, can you repeat for the audience what, what you just said about the timelines? When do people stop giving and why? Uh, well, yeah, there, there's generally, it's a rule of thumb that with disaster relief philanthropy, as it's called, there there's an arc and the outpouring of giving a third of it generally happens in the first four weeks, another third in the second four weeks, and then it trickles off from there. And six months later, uh, there is practically no giving at all. And I'm talking about private giving. Um, and, and it, you know, it's the same in when you watch press coverage of an event. It's going to fade over time. Uh, people have short attention spans. Uh, and so the hope is that with this space, we can be running a marathon and, um, you know, I guess, break that rule of thumb, so to speak. That will be fantastic because I expect this war to prolong for a long, long time. People that understand Putin a little better know this is not going to stop. And this is going to be the long game. So let's see what we can do, George. Yeah, Alexander, Alexander um, I was very moved in the past when you spoke about your personal involvement. There are many people in the room who I don't think probably heard you speak. Uh, it was a month or two ago. Can you just share with the room a little bit? I don't mean to embarrass you, but just share with the room a little bit your own personal involvement, because I know you explained to me what you've been doing and some of the people that you've taken. And I think the room would really benefit from hearing of your personal experience. Thank you, Alexander. Sure. Uh, so, look, there, there are many angles. Uh, first of all, I come from a commodity family and we traded with, um, well, my father was a cotton trader and he traded with the Soviet Union for 50 years old. And then uh, early in the 90s, he took uh, the Kazakhs and uh, Uzbeks to to the Lavoso Symposium and, uh, you know, no one knew who they are and couldn't even spell the names of these countries. And so that's how we got to, to, to know some of these leaders better. And we also met Putin in those days. And, um, you know, we had a bad feeling from the start, but the first four years, he, he got a lot of credit from everyone. And then, you know, today we know that he's just one of these, you know, greedy, classic dictators that... Uh, now has the agenda to put the Soviet Union back and, and, and has no, call it, um, you know, uh, what, not even moral compass, but he's just nuts, right? He, he wants to put this together and he couldn't care less how many people die on the way. And I think he's going to, you know, people will be surprised how long this takes. And if there is a peace agreement in between, make sure, I mean, I tell you now, and, you know, I announced this war in April, go back to my tweets, uh, that this is going to come and everyone ridiculed me, but um, this this is, if there is a peace agreement, it's just going to continue. The guy's nuts. So, and and he's, by the way, probably as popular in the country as he was back before the war. So it, it's not going to go away any anytime soon. And and just personally, what we did, you know, my, my uh, parents are housing now eight refugees. And when they came to us, what was that, four weeks ago, um, all women, different ages, so from kid, you know, four years old to grandma, more than 70 years old, completely shell-shocked. They, they came out of Mariupol, which was badly hit. And, you know, the first two weeks they only slept. And then, uh, you know, we couldn't communicate with them because none of us speaks Russian. And, and they only spoke Russian. And... Um, 
So we got translation and we learned a bit more about them and so on. And then at some point we got the hairdresser to come to help them a little bit on the personal, you know, uh, hygiene issues and so on. And they obviously had nothing. And um, when the hairdresser came, um, you know, after two hours, came to us and said, look, we, I cut the hair, but I can tell you they're all going to have white hair, even the kids. Right? And that's because they were so shocked from what was going on. And I, you know, I don't want to go into details there, but I mean, everything you hear on TV and more, right? What they had to personally see with their, you know, husbands and brothers and all the men systematically killed, all the women systematically raped. Um, that, um, you know, they, they just have white hair today. They're going to have white hair in the future. Kids. So it's it's really dramatic, and um, you know, let's let's help when we can, and when we have the privilege to can. And um, you know, this world central kitchen, George, I follow for quite some time. I have no idea that you were involved with them, and I really paid attention to what this. I think he's Mexican or some Spanish descent. I really love the guy. He's you know hands on, and that's what this is all about. You know, you have to find a group where you have little leakage when you give, I think that's the guy and, you know, he goes there and really goes into dangerous zones because I know Ukraine well and I know where he was. I follow him quite closely and I tell you, that's dangerous where the guy goes and hands out the food. So chapeau to the guy and let's help George and let's see what we can do in two months to gather the troops again. Yeah, no, definitely, Alexander, with your help in this community, I mean, I'm so pleased with the community we have here and we're, we're helping each other, learning together. And again, there's a lot of resources in this room. So your leadership is much appreciated. So um, and maybe, maybe if I just can make a comment about the many please. things you passed on to your audience, because we obviously come from this fundamental investing too, which went out of style. And so, but we still believe in it. And so, so what I recommend is just one book out there and I'm sure George, you know, it backwards. It's, uh, it's from Bruce Greenwald, Professor Greenwald, and it's called Com- Competition Demystified. And I think it's helpful to the audience to understand what business is all about, because I think most don't. And when I hear all these growth stories, you know, most growth is unprofitable, has a, low, has a lower return on invested capital than, than it, it has cost of capital. And so I think people really have to go back to the study room to understand what is coming here, because I think this is really the long term shift here. Hundred percent, hundred percent, Alexander. All right, thank you for that. At any rate, we've been going at this for over three hours. This is a, the, the, I, I go away for a week and a half. I come back. I, you know, I, I got this rhythm for a couple of months. Well, next time you get Mark in here, let's uh, get him in here for uh, a big uh, a stint because I think there's a lot of people that would like to ask him some questions. I had some well, we a have, couple we questions Mark, for him as well. We have Mark, had Mark for two and a half hours. I mean, this is yeah. as good as, so no, no problem there. We will have Mark back again. Don't worry about that. But. Yeah. Um, before closing, I want to ask everyone again. Uh, I think it's up on the nest, and it's also my Twitter feed. It's in Carol's Twitter feed. If you've gotten value from this room, please, please, please give to World Central Kitchen. Um, you know, this is extraordinary, extraordinary. The quality of this room, the participants in this room, um, those who've spoken, those who've not spoken. Um, you know, literally, this is priceless to have some. Listen, to someone like Mark give as much of his time as he did it's just unfathomable so i urge everyone to please 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 give it's not really much of an ask when you consider you know the the benefits that 
the joy, the wisdom coming from someone like Mark. So with that, um, we have a great, our next session is on Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Uh, I'm going to repost, in case you guys are wondering why I, I put these announcements up and I take them down, Twitter has this annoying feature where you only can, for spaces, you only can advertise one room at a time. So I put the Julian Brigden announcement up yesterday, and but then this morning I was in the mood because it's raining here doing another space. Little did I realize that my friend Mark Cahodes would would, would 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 show up, but I had to take the Julian Brigden down advertisement in order to, to advertise this from. I will now put it back up. Mark your calendars. It's 11 a.m. Eastern uh, on Tuesday. Julian Brigden, one of the sharpest guys out there. He correct. He's been on the right side of transitory, which is bullshit. It ain't transitory. He's been on the right side of the economy, inflation, and the markets. Um, you don't want to miss this. It's kind of similar to what James Ferguson was saying a couple weeks ago from uh, Macro Strategy Partnership, and that was a home run room. Um, the quality of these rooms is just, it blows my mind. And I, I just, you know, we're just getting better all the time. The audience is getting better. The questions are getting better. Speakers, everything. I mean, I, I defy, again, we have the best spaces because we have the best speakers, the best content, the best analysis, the best moderation, and the smartest audience. So with that, um, we're going to close the room. Three hours and ten minutes, enough. It's Sunday. <laughs> Get a life, as they say. And we'll talk to you guys on Tuesday. Everyone take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.